Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another hour of podcasting power here on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and as I am wont to say, wherever else my podcast appears or where good podcasts are sold. So uh, this week, we are continuing to address social issues, things going on in America right now, specifically around the Black Lives Matter movement. And some, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts with Benjamin Boyce, with Dr. James Lindsay, and presented some information about, you know, some, some difficulties or differences of opinion that, uh, or concerns, actually, not really even differences of opinion. It's really more concerns I've had about some of the core ideological principles of BLM, while at the same time needing to stress over and over again that I am all about the social change that is being pushed for here. And this has been difficult uh, because this is a nuanced conversation, and nuance is generally where, well, the internet, Twitter specifically, I say this all the time, but generally the internet is where nuance goes to die. And so, you know, through our YouTube channels, we all try to get a voice, get ourselves out there, get heard, see what we can say that might help move the ball down the road. And that's all I want to do. And I think that some people have perhaps misunderstood my intent uh, because, for example, I have only been talking to white people about this, which I find myself a little bit like, really? But I get it. I actually do. I mean, it makes sense. And it's because we're talking about Black Lives Matters. So about a week or so, a week or two ago, I was on a podcast called uh, In Black and White, which is part of the YFNA network. And uh, to be be accurate about that, and I got a chance to discuss this with uh, the host and a couple of people of color who were on the show to discuss this issue. And I thought we had a pretty good show. I thought it went pretty well. So I've invited one of those people to my show here, and his name is Rick Lockhart II. And he is a fellow YouTuber and radio personality. In fact, I want to get this 100% right because I want you all to be able to look him up and subscribe to that channel because I think it's worth looking at. Um, The two shows that he is part of are In Black and White and also Colorful Circle with Rick and Al. So, Rick, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the introduction so that people can find where we are and, uh, and, uh, and look us up. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the newly released show, um, In Black and White on YFNA News Network, you can find it at youtube.com forward slash YFNA News. Um, and Colorful Circle is a, is a show that I kind of, is kind of on a little bit of a hiatus at the moment, but it's um, a platform that my, my fiance and uh, other have get a chance to discuss issues or um, uh, obstacles that affect our, the communities that we identify with. So whether it's being black or being gay or being male or being Christian or, you know, what have you, uh, we talk about those issues and find a, a full circle resolution or uh, resource for, for those obstacles. So I, I really appreciate being on the show today. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate having you on. And um, let's see. First off, thank you for uh, clarifying the, the shows and everything. Um, what got you into this stuff in the first place? You know, getting up on YouTube, putting yourself in front of a camera. You know, I, 
everybody kind of knows why I'm doing this. I got into this because I got out of a damn cult, right? And I was like, oh, sure. wanted to talk about that. And then that kind of broadened into talking about all kinds of things where I see, you know, potentially troublesome problems, let's say, in politics. And of course, I'm the naivest idiot that I thought I could just, you know, roll into talking about politics and social issues the same way I talk about Scientology and people would just see what I was talking about. And then what's the problem, right? And uh, mm, mm, now uh, doesn't work that way at all. (laughs) And I was hopelessly naive about that. So I can only claim a cult background <laughs> as an excuse for that. But what's your excuse? How did you get into this and put yourself in front of a camera? Well, you know, there's there's so many things that contribute to that, Chris. Um, and let me, before I go any further, apologize, because I do have puppies that want to be on, on uh, film, too, as well, and I won't let them. So you might hear them in the background. Um, there, a few things. I've always been told, and I think I've inherited this uh, naturally from, from my father, uh, this this voice for radio. And uh, about in 2016, when I moved back to Chicago, I got an opportunity to join an, uh, a network called Intellectual Radio, which was .com, which was an internet platform radio that was live streamed. So I created this show called Rick's Room and R-I-X, R-O-O-M. And Rick's Room was an opportunity for me to kind of engage in that radio show kind of personality. Uh, but because it was live streamed, that kind of gave me the into the, the live streaming world, if you will. Uh, if we fast forward, Ethan, my co-host on In Black and White, reached out to me a, a not too long ago, well, quite a bit ago, actually, and really wanted to get involved with podcasting and so on and so forth and said, I really want to do a show with you. And we never really got around to form, formatting an actual show. But I told him at that point, was I, I was like, you know, whatever show we do, it has to be In Black and White, because... For obvious reasons, I'm black. He's white. Um, however, when when the situation with Ahmad Arbery took place, um, I was outraged. It, it was really outrageous to me that I had not seen anyone post anyone any one of my white friends uh, post about their outrage about what happened to Ahmad Arbery, and it, it it really sparked the conversation about why is that, and here is where the need needs to be. The conversations have been taking place with Black Americans about racial injustice for, what, decades, centuries now? Um, so I reached out to Ethan and I said, hey, you have a great network that we, this could really be a conversation that we can have. And we started from there discussing the incident of Ahmad Arbery um, and his murder in the middle of the street. And from there, and the, viewers, uh, the viewership and responses that we got, it really spawned into creating the show in black and white, where we get a chance to tackle those racial conversations that really need to be need to be had, uh, and we've uh, we've been kind of growing ever since. We decided to launch the YFNA News Network from there. Um, so, if anyone watching this has not had a chance to subscribe, please head on over there, click that subscribe button, like the videos, and hit the uh, alarm button for the alerts. Shameless plug, but that's kind of how we got started in that. <laughs> Plus, I've done a lot of theater. Uh, I've been in uh, restaurant hospitality for over twenty years. So, you know, that kind of being in front of people has been something that I've been predispositioned, predispositioned to for quite some time. Makes sense. And where, um, where did you grow up and get educated? So I am originally from Chicago, the Chicago West Side, as well as the Western suburbs. Very interestingly enough, um, although growing up in um, communities that were predominantly Black, my mother, because of the generation, of course, that she was born in, 
really wanted to aim to give me the best of both worlds. So while I lived in predominantly black neighborhoods, I attended schools that were predominantly white. Um, her mentality in that was, you know, unfortunately in our in our society, especially from when she was you know growing up and 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 uh, being employed, that you know black people have to have to perform ten times better to even be considered equal. And what she wanted me to have is the perspective of what kind of white America looks like versus black America and understand both worlds to be able to um, really progress uh, 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 progress through through both uh, through both mindsets, if you will. So um, growing up on the west side of Chicago, I made it all the way up to um, the, some college and uh, decided that restaurant hospitality was the way that I wanted to go. I really had a knack for people and enjoyed being of service. And I think that that is what really yielded to the humanitarianism that I, I, I feel and really go after, which I think is one of the other things that Ethan's goal was with creating the YFNA News Network, uh, was to really have those humanitarianism conversations. And that's where we were able, I was able to fit in with, with, that, uh, with that network as well. Uh, but about 20 years and working in, in restaurants uh, from all different levels as an hourly server, all the way up to, I think the highest position that I've gotten was a uh, area leadership um, level position where I uh, was support, responsible for supporting training and development and operations in 16 restaurants in the Northeast, which for all that are watching probably know or have heard of the Cheesecake Factory. Um, they, and I spent the bulk of my years learning and uh, operating with them and I learned a great deal about not only how to engage with people professionally and um, hospitably, but also manage people hospitably and professionally. And um, I think that that really has driven the focus that I have for the act activism that, um, that I try to get into when it comes to sp things that are, are, are close to me, whether it be being gay or being black, which um, I think this new term intersectionality is, uh, <laughs> is uh, the movement there for that. So. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of what uh, I guess my education has has really been in, in my livelihood so far. Makes sense. And uh, Cheesecake Factory is one of my favorite places to eat. I love well, you know, that. you have uh, uh, you don't have a, a new concept that I recently started working with, which is called Cooper's Hawk, uh, which gives you a dining experience along with a working winery uh, attached to it as well. So you get that Napa Valley experience all across the country. Um, a, a great concept opening up in, in all different areas. I think Arizona is the furthest west right now, uh, but some other places that are, that are looking to, to open to as well. A great concept um, and delicious wine and great food. And um, I've, uh, we, since the COVID happened, it just really kind of took things or put things on pause. But um, as, they're, as we're reopening you know, locations, um, it's really a great uh, concept to check out if, it, if in the event you ever get a chance to, uh, to swing by one. Awesome. Uh, definitely. We'll check it out. You know, I, I've never really talked about this uh, in terms of, in racial terms, my background. Um, I've talked about my Scientology background almost exclusively. Um, people know I grew up in California, uh, Los Angeles, Pasadena specifically. And, um, and I, I was talking to um, somebody yesterday about this. And once I started actually breaking it down, somebody asked me about my experience with, with racism in, as a child and growing up. And, um, and it was interesting because I hadn't, I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought because, um, because it was kind of diverse. It was kind of an interesting background for me 
And I guess the only point I wanted to make is because I've never talked about this, I thought it would help my audience to understand that um, this is never really, because of the way my life has been, um, I've, I, I've kind of navigated the societal problems with this issue in a very interesting way. Um, and, and perhaps that has contributed to my views on this being like, okay, I'm not totally 100% getting behind all of this or something, right? Um, but let me tell you this, so just so you'll know this, and everybody else, I guess, will know this, is that I grew up between both worlds, um, between affluent white folks and very poor uh, ethnic, black, Latino, white, all, right, in this, in this other area, separated pretty much by a street. Um, and it was, and it's interesting in Los Angeles, you have such a, such, a, you know, you have all these different neighborhoods and all these different things. They're still culturally, ethnically centric neighborhoods in Los Angeles. I mean, the Church of Scientology is in the middle of little Armenia, you know, <laughs> but growing up in Pasadena, there was Linda Vista on one side, as is near the, where the Rose Bowl is, to give some context to this. And so I went to young school with uh, like first through fourth grade with a bunch of rich white kids, or at least affluent. And then I went to fifth and sixth grade in the, the best way I can describe this geographically or, or to talk about this in terms of demographics is I was a minority in that school. In the, in the in the fifth and sixth grade, where I was one of few white people, uh, where I was the only white kid on my little league team, <laughs> right? All blacks, <laughs> okay, right? And um, and we were not affluent. This was our mm -hmm. first house. It was a fixer upper. You know, bought it for twenty thousand dollars. Right? Like, <laughs> bottom of the line, right? And I only give this for background because I want people to know that. You know, those experiences made me, or at least the way I interpreted my experience of growing up was um, I was surrounded by white people, I was surrounded by black people, and I navigated both of those worlds. And I never really thought about skin color that much. I was much more about, it's, I'm not saying I was blind to it, mm -hmm, I'm not sure. saying color doesn't exist, I, I, it very much does. What I'm saying is that I, because of that, and then getting into Scientology, where color actually really doesn't exist, no one cares in Scientology what skin color you have. No one. They just don't care. It's not the thing that anybody is judging anybody else on in that little world. As bad as the cult gets, that's not part of it. And, I, and I've talked about that before, way before any of this stuff came up, right? Mm -hmm. Hubbard himself was a, was a horrible racist. It was awful. It, you know, mm -hmm. he talked about black South Africans in a very derogatory way when he went to South Africa and did lectures and stuff. But that, but it was sort of countered in the Scientology world with your body isn't you. It never is you. There's no part of your body that makes up who you as a spiritual being, as a person, as an entity, your body is the, has, has as much significance as a splinter in your thumb. Hmm. You might as well call a splinter in your thumb you, you know, like it's that, it's that significant. So 
I recognize that some of my ideas or some of my views about this come from that background where I haven't had 50 years of dealing with the social, cultural problems of this. I'm not trying to apologize for anything. I'm just trying to give some information about. Yeah, no, I I understand. It's the context of of, of background for for, for your, your perspective. I get that. Yeah, exactly. So I tend to look at things more in terms of behavior or more in terms of the ideology of something than I do the people involved with it and who the, and what their ethnicity is. You know, um, that's just some information, I suppose. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing <laughs> that. You know, I, I, I think also, Chris, with that, it, it, it bolts to say that if you, looking at it from that perspective, when you, when you were originally, I think you started in, um, in a neighborhood that was predominantly white or school that was predominantly white. Is that what, is that, yeah, that's, how I st- that's where I started going to school. Yeah. I believe that there, and I can't remember what the exact ages are, but somewhere along the lines of white people don't realize their race until, you know, maybe about five or six years old or something like that, or maybe like third grade or something, something along those lines. Whereas, uh, black people understand or acknowledge their 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 race at like three years old or four years old at, at a considerably younger age, right? Than, than than white people, and I think that that what we have to take into consideration is that's the way the system was designed. The system that that we look at in regards to race, and I think we kind of talked a little bit about this on our show um, in Black and White. Uh, it, you know, the, the the whole creation of the difference, the the inferior versus superior type of mentality between races. Uh, that's the way that system was designed so that you would not have to even acknowledge the, the complexion of your skin, the race that you are, well, maybe complexion of your skin, but the race that you are, uh, right? You, it, it wouldn't be as meaningful to you because the society is set up to benefit um, your race already. So it's, you wouldn't have to talk about it, right? Whereas in, in communities of color, um, race is something that has to be identifiable because of the, the, the place that it puts the, the system puts people of color, you know, in, um, when you, I think that it gives you an opportunity to have a more well-rounded perspective as well. When you are able to, uh, operate within two different scenarios, two different environments. Um, you know, I, I think that, that always helps anyone should, everyone should really have that, that experience. Right. But I think for black, for people of color, it's almost one of those things that it's forced, right. Um, my mother putting me in, predominantly white schools so that I can learn how this this environment works and be able to operate in this environment because I am black because uh, I have to operate you know times better than than my white counterparts to be considered equal um, you know I, and I think that that's that's something that is again beneficial for everybody to go through it's almost like I, I think I also said that everyone should before they graduate high school, should work in a restaurant, right? So you'll probably learn manners uh, right. the, that, that everybody needs to learn in the first place just by working in restaurants or understand how it feels to be treated like, you know, trash. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, think, I think that everyone should have the opportunity to engage in, in, in environments, especially in those, those formative years of what different societies look like um, and how to manage in and understand the perspective of those, those worlds, right? I think that that you had you that, that was a benefit for you that so now here we are and you get to have this conversation with a little bit more perspective than just being white well exactly i think and and if, I, if there was any point that i was trying to make there i think that was it you know being um i never felt 
it was weird. You know, I was, I had, I had this particularly, you know, sort of, uh, introspective conversation, you know, about this and looking at my views about it, right. Looking at, at, at the time that I was growing up as a, as a kid in this environment, right. Like being the only white kid on my little league team. And by the way, sucking at baseball, <laughs> sucking hard at baseball. Like I was afraid of the ball, never caught it. Couldn't hit. I mean, I sucked, right? Yeah, I learned at a very young age that uh, playing t-ball, that softball, baseball, none of that was for me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too, right? Lost my mitt one night. My dad was about, you know, fit to be tied. I mean, it was bad. And so I was on the receiving end of a lot of ire, right? A lot of ill will directed toward me. But it was because I sucked. It wasn't because I was a white kid, right? Although... <laughs> You know, even at that age, oh, the stupid white kid, right? Oh, the damn white kid, right? So I was at the receiving end of some of that too without actually even recognizing what that was or where that was coming from because I wasn't really totally, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a kid. I wasn't fully indoctrinated in society and slavery and history and all that. I didn't know all that stuff yet. This was the stuff we were, I, we were still learning basic American history, not not the details of the Civil War and all of that, and uh, much less the African slave trade and all the other nonsense that's gone on in history. So, um, so I didn't not having that awareness. Some of those comments directed toward me were a little confusing too. And I was a little bit like, "What's this all about?" Right? Oh, I'm I'm bad because I'm because this. Well, I can't do anything about this. What? What? You know, I'm just trying to be a better baseball player, right? And you know, and you get the various degrees of of reactions to that. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a little weird as a kid to to be receiving that stuff. I think uh, on uh, on whatever end you're getting it, you know, and and racism is rampant all over the world. It's it's a thing, and. If you're in the minority, you're the one who gets to get picked on, you know. And in America, we've got this very particular and very, very uh, huge problem with this. And I definitely acknowledge that that is a cultural problem in the United States. Sure. So, um, so what do we do about it, right? How do we move forward? I think that experience, though, and then the experience of Scientology, I mean, maybe we could just enter in on this and, and I can ask you about this point because it's one that I sort of personally have a little bit of a of a bone of contention with on this, mm. on, on where this movement is going and some of the, you know, ideological principles or statements that it makes. And I, and I, I want to be clear that it's, it doesn't seem to get clearly stated. So, so let me say, I differentiate an ideological core to Black Lives Matter as an organization versus the social movement. I think everybody's on board with the social movement. I don't know one person in my life who has any problem with let's move the ball of equal rights down the road. Mm. Let's make change. Now, Congratulations I just, that you well, don't have anybody. I actually <laughs> have a little bit of a small world, though, too. <laughs> I, you know, I definitely do. I am not at all putting myself out there as Mr. White Bread. This is I am representative of all white people. I am. And, and let me also flyer. give us. And the disclaimer, I am not the representation of the whole Black American community. These are definitely just opinions that I'm sharing from, uh, from the, just that, my opinion. So. Exactly. But it's such a charged topic. You have to put all these disclaimers out there. You got to like say all this stuff, right? 
because people are on a razor's edge in some places with this. And it's really tight. It's hard to talk about. So, you know, okay, uh, mandatory disclaimers. So that all being <laughs> said, right, um, I have a bit of a problem with, an, with this ideological principle that comes out of the literature of Black Lives Matter, not the social movement, but it's being spread through the social movement of everybody's a racist. I, I can't agree with that statement. I'm not, and I just don't see it. And I, and I talk about my background a little bit so that you'll get where I'm coming from with that. I have had a unique experience in a couple of ways, but I don't think I'm the only one who's had unique experiences, you know? Well, well you know, Chris, I think a couple of things with, with that board of contention, and I appreciate you sharing that as, yeah. as well. Um, my first question would be, where did... Where did you get the, where is it stated that they say all people are, or everybody's a racist? Um, I've read it on Twitter. <laughs> I've, I've right. read it. Because I mean, I and, and the reason why I asked that- White fragility. Well, I, I was gonna say, so, you know, <clears throat> Black Lives Matter movement, the organization, I mean, Black Lives uh, Matter, the organization on their, you know, their actual site. And I, and I, I had to go through because there has been a lot of conversation around this organization um, they they get bastardized repeatedly. They are they are uh, uh, affiliated with terrorism. You know, there's just all of these 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 things that are thrown at this group that was literally born out of the treatment of Black lives uh, by at the hands specifically of police officers, but has grown into just racial injustice <clears throat> and and all Black lives, including the LGBTQ community, which I personally admire about the organization, and we can get into why a little bit later on. But I think that. I, I have not seen them specifically push for like everybody's a racist. Um, I did read the book White Fragility, and you know the whole title of it, uh, why race is so difficult for white people to talk about, um, or why it's difficult for white people to talk about race. And I think that in, you know, in reading that, <clears throat> in in the definition that she gives of racism, um, and and because of the benefit that that white people are afforded because of the white supremacist society that that America has, that. There are actions that you, the inherent biases, as as uh, as you coined or as you discussed on our show. Um, I think that when we can, when we when we look at inherent biases um, as racist behavior or could be racist behavior, depending on how those actions may affect someone who is in that marginalized community. Um, specifically, we're, we're we're talking about race, right? So, if in the event you may not think that you're racist, <clears throat> in fact, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, when when you introduced me, and this is not to go back and 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 redo or anything like that, but just to kind of highlight this as an example, <clears throat> when when you and when you introduced the show in black and white, uh, you mentioned that you were on the show with the host and um, some people of color, and then went into I invited one of them on the show. Um, it when in fact the the host of the show are both Ethan and I, um, and and it was really more so uh, you and Cynthia as 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 guests. But your perspective kind of went towards, or at least the way we relating that perspective, uh, was that there were people of color on the show and that you invited one of them on, on, on your show. I could potentially, as a person, as a, as a person of color, have said, wow, that, that almost seems as though um, it, it, was, it was directed towards bringing me on the show because I'm a person of color to talk about this with someone of color, but not even understand or not presuming that I was actually one of the hosts of the show rather than, than a guest, right? Um, when things like that take place, 
right? If it, if it isn't racist to me, it could potentially be racist to somebody else. And that still is racism, although I may not take it as being racism. So you have these, these, these actions that potentially can take place and affect people differently in mar within marginalized communities. And I think that when we talk about racism, and specifically in, in, the, in the book from um, Dr. D'Angelo, uh, she, when she highlights that, it's to highlight the fact that this behavior, although may not be racist to one, is inherently or potentially racist to someone else. And it's the behavior itself that's the, that's, that's the racism and where that derives from. Black Lives Matter isn't an organization, I don't, at least again, like nothing that I have read that says that everyone is, is a racist, but what they are highlighting is the need for um, the end of white supremacy, white people being this supreme superior race, and the push for the, the, the mindset to change from people of color, specifically black people, being inferior. Instead, black people having equity and equality, right? Um, it, within our our society. That's a great response. And let me please respond back. Um, because, um, funny thing, the reason I thought that the host of the show was a white guy is because he's the one who reached out to me and invited me onto the show. And I just connected those two dots immediately. Had nothing to do with the color of his skin, your skin, anybody's skin, <laughs> right? had to do with the fact that he's the one who reached out to me. So I immediately made the connection in my head. He's the host of the show. And I've never been on a show that I can recall that had two hosts. And so <laughs> I just didn't go there mentally, right? Now, I have a question about what you said, though, because, oh, and by the way, the, the everybody's racist thing actually comes out of critical race theory. I mean, when you go into the literature, hmm. it goes back a ways. This is going all the way back to the 60s in terms of the literature on this stuff. So... It gotcha. is there. I'm not making that up. Um, but you do have to dig a little bit. And I've definitely had, in fact, I had a whole Twitter argument with a white friend of mine about how we are all racist because of implicit bias. And I pushed back because I said, look, I'm all about implicit bias. I've done videos about it. But I don't happen to think we all share one implicit bias. And that's the statement that's made by critical race theory. So that's that's where I, that's ultimately where that goes back to. And I can't even tell you right now, I can't sit here and list off all the names. It's, it's a deep dive into that topic. There are weighty books to read to get through that stuff, which is why I've done two hours long podcasts with Lindsay about it, just so, because he's the expert that, you know, can cite the sources and, lay, and break it all down. And he's done so on this platform. So I'm not going to try to repeat all that here. I'm just saying that's where it comes from. And I've actually literally had arguments with people about it. So it's, it's a thing. Mm. Um, I'm curious about something you said, though, and that is that, okay, here is an action, an empirical, observable action that occurs in the real world. I fail to acknowledge that you are the co-host of that show. Legit error. Definitely wrong on my part to do that. Now, was it racist for me to do that? Now we have a little bit of mind reading going on, right? Because if I say it wasn't, and I explain myself as I just did, but somebody interprets that action, which in and of itself is an action that we don't really know a whole lot about the intent of, except for what I know in my head caused me to do that, which I can explain and even apologize for. But was it racist? Was it based on race that that happened? And is it because of some antagonism on my part towards 
that race that I would do that. That's where sure. I think we're getting into some mind reading. And so I want to I want to ask you about that because you you seem to say it's interpreted that way, therefore it is, or somebody could perceive it that way, and therefore it is. And I wanted to clarify <clears throat> that. Is that is that what you're saying? Is that because somebody perceives it that way, that it is that way? Because I, well, I don't know that so, that's true. Sure. So let's let's look at it a, a little bit further. Um, sure. If I were to say, you know, Chris, I I actually felt like you know that was that could have been that could have been racist. Mm-hmm. And you would say, well, then you would define this is how 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 you came to the conclusion of of Ethan being the host and and not myself. <clears throat> Even then, if I would push back and say, well. While you were on the show, you you may not have paid attention to the the introduction of the show where mm-hmm. I introduced myself as the host, mm-hmm. as well as Ethan introducing. Actually, he does this all the time. He introduces himself as a co-host and calls himself the resident white boy. It, it's funny. Uh, however, um, you know, I, I I would then say, well, let's look at let's look at that for a second. Even though I I there's there's this information that has been laid out for you to say, well, Rick is actually a host of the show. Um, and even with, uh, with, with the, the bio of, of co-hosting the show with, with Ethan too, as well, all of that information, um, being given to you, your introduction still skipped over her over that and, and didn't, and didn't connect those dots. Could it potentially be that the implicit bias that you may have subconsciously is the fact that, you know, Ethan being the, 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 the adjoining race that, 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 that you all share, um, is the reason for overlooking that, right? Is there potentially a bias there? And then we'd have to start to kind of look into that a little bit. What really happened there if that potentially was something that um, was, you know, inherently because of the, the perspective on that you may have on race based on your upbringing and, and things that you've been through, experiences, so on and so forth, that creates those implicit biases. I think that what happens then is, when you get to that 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 ability to kind of look into those things nuancedly, um, it, it if in the event it affects or comes across to someone who is within who is within that marginalized community as impactful to their them as a part of that marginalized community, uh, then there has the potential for it to be in this particular case the marginalized community being black, the the the, the overall incident being uh, regarding race or around race, excuse me. Um, that the behavior itself or the action itself was in fact racist, right? I think that that, that becomes a very nuanced and detailed breakdown of, of, of having to look through how we got to that point to indicate, you know, if it was racism and, and how potentially it was racism. I don't think that it's, it's necessarily how someone interprets it, but at the same time, I do think that that is something to consider. Um, when you talk about any type of, of you know, indication, impact, or uh, provided obstacle given from a superior to inferior. Let's take a look at it from a perspective of being this patriarchal society that we have. If I were to create or, or engage in an action, if you or I were to engage in an action that um, affected or impacted uh, a woman um, because we're being, I mean, because we're implicitly biased to be, you know, in this masculine culture or male-driven society that, you know, what we do is right or what we do is, is okay or so on and so forth. If there was an action that we did completely oversighting the fact that it impacted a woman and her experience in the marginalized community of being a woman, right, uh, we would have to look at that and say, well, what is it that we did? Why did we do it? Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. And in fact, was it, you know, a sexist thing to do? 
based on our perceptions, our upbringing in the society that benefits us as men, right? So it, it, I think it goes parallel in the action itself and the resultant impact and how it was, you know, interpreted or, or received. Again, well, just my own personal opinion there. No, I get it. And, but we really are talking about perception now. And perception is very, very different from objective reality. And I think we're right on the right on something with this. So let's let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, and it's great. I mean, the sexism thing is the same thing, right? Am I a sexist because I didn't bring you know because I because I failed to mention that? Let me let me put you know since we're talking about an area that I've actually gone pretty far down the rabbit holes on. No, no, I it, haven't yet, Chris. Don't please don't do this on the show to me. I've only gone like like <laughs> halfway down. I haven't gone all the way down this rabbit hole yet. But let's go ahead. Let's 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 explore this. <laughs> no, no, okay. So what I'm talking specifically about are biases, okay, and sure. how we think. And let me go there because I think this is actually important. Okay, um, there are there is more going on under the hood up here, so to speak, than just bias. There are, there are tons of implicit, explicit biases we develop over time, you know, through education, culture, language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are also, and this is actually fairly new in the area of neuroscience, but this has been a cognitive theory in cognitive psychology for quite a while, this thing called confirmation bias. And predictive and in, in, in neuroscience the cognitive psychology talks about confirmation bias where you basically look for and, and absorb and assimilate pieces of information in any body of knowledge verbally written whatever that confirms what you already think and we tend to negate information that doesn't confirm what we think it just happens it's not something you have to think about you have to work to overcome it. It's a natural process. Neuroscience is teaching us that the reason for that is because of something that they're calling predictive coding, where the brain, the way the brain operates is a little counterintuitive. And I'm not going to go into some big lecture about neuroscience right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize this to we see and hear and perceive what we expect to perceive not what's really there. And this is a really important point because this explains almost all of the logical fallacies that exist. And there's a long list of logical fallacies that we engage in. And one of the reasons that we use these or engage in these logical fallacies is because the way our brain biologically, this is, this is neurons, this is not an opinion. The way they actually work mechanically is that they are predicting what you're going to perceive before you actually receive the perception and feed it to you. And if the perception that you receive is different from what you are thinking it's supposed to be, and it somehow gets through the biases, that's when you have the moment of surprise. This is how people come up and shock you or surprise you. You didn't, see, you didn't expect it coming. You didn't predict for it. You're walking into a room. You expect to see X, Y, Z. Somebody jumps up from behind a curtain and, and startles you. Well, that you didn't pre predict that that was going to happen. And that momentary shock that we all experience, that little moment of what, what just happened, is the moment where your brain is recalibrating its new perception with 
what you predicted to happen, which was wrong. And so now you got to reprocess it. It actually takes time to do it. And the reason I point this up is just to really harp on this thing we've come up with, with this me forgetting this thing about you being the co-host, which is totally legit. Like I said, I, it, it was definitely an error. Oh my God, Chris, you're such a racist. You, you didn't even know that I was a host of this show. No, oh. right? But here's the thing. Once I establish in my mind that Ethan's the host, everything that confirms that goes right in. And everything that is counter to that, every, so like you said, you present me with the information. You tell me you're the co-host. I literally heard those words, but they don't process because I've already made up my mind who the host is. You see what I mean? And so then we assume, and here's my problem with this sort of assumption of this bias is, yes, implicit bias definitely exists. And yes, I could have an implicit bias that, you know, black people are not worthy of being hosts of shows. And so therefore, I just don't receive that information. Or I could have a whole nother reason for receiving that piece of information and not processing it well, based on the fact that I've just thought I, I just took it wrong. I just I just didn't get it, you know? Point is not to make me right. Point is that these mechanisms of mental cognition, of, this is how we think. And I, I only push back because I want to point out that we then assume we know why somebody's thinking the way they're thinking. And we assign, in this case, a racial component to it. And I have to say something about that because I go, well, doesn't that also kind of speak to your perception bias if everything I do is judged through a lens of racial judgment? And I have to say, I got bias, but so do you. So we have to temper both ends of that. You know what I mean? And this is entirely different conversation from the history of abuses and all, you know, the history is the history. I'm not arguing any of that. I'm right. saying right here, right now, between you and me, could we both have biases that are entering into this picture to make us think there might be something else going on than there really is? Sure. And I think that, that, that that's when you, you have the, the like, like I mentioned, the, the conversations to, to dig into that a little bit, to understand how did that happen, right? Yep. Um, rightfully so. The, the, and I won't go through all of the psychological terms and nuanced terms and neurological terms you just went through. It's, Sorry, I, I, for that. I, I, I go there sometimes and I know it's, it's, okay. I, know it, it's I, I get a chance to learn as I'm on your show, Chris. Thank yeah. you so much for that. I don't even have to pay for this. Um, you know, I think <laughs> that that's why those, those conversations are important and why they need to happen to get to the, the underlying root of how did this happen? Where did this come from? How did we arrive to this and miss this? Right. Uh, in addition to that, though, I would I would ask, well, when we talk about and maybe this might be a, a, another brief lecture that you you can share how our biases form implicit or explicit. Right. Are they, are they... Oh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is it is it is it a combination of your experiences versus what you see on TV and you're exposed to? Right. Uh, things that are trained in the womb versus when you come out of the womb versus when you're able to actually understand and, 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 and hold on to and retain information. But how are these biases formed? And when we talk about all of the neurological terms you just mentioned taking place, I won't go through these, this list again. <laughs> uh, 
when it when it when it takes place, does it takes does it take place? Excuse me, through a lens of biases, and if it's taking place through the lens of biases, um, where were those biases created? How were those biases formed? And you know, how, that's is that how we came to this? We we arrived at this outcome. I think that's when we talk about having to have those conversations to go into where where the where those came from. Exactly. And I and I and I this is why I'm all about the conversation. And this is exactly why I want to have it with you. Um, for example, and this is this is and the reason why this stuff is important to me and I and I and I guess I'm not making I guess I haven't made myself clear enough enough times about it is I want this to succeed. I want the ball of human rights to be pushed down the road. I want this to become a reality. I want to I want people to have this the the same view I have about other people which is I don't care what your body looks like. I literally I don't care. I see it. I'm not saying I'm colorblind. That's bullshit, right? I'm saying that I don't care. I care what value you bring. I care what you have to say. I care what you can do for the world, you know, that kind of thing, right? So that's where I want to get everybody to. Well, hey, you know, let me let me go me ahead and see some things get in the way of that, you know. Sure, sure. And let me second that for you, everyone that's watching or listening. Chris really wants the ball of justice and equality to succeed. I know this about him. We've had this conversation before. He actually does. Maybe it'll it'll help out if a black guy says it too for you. Um, listen, I think also though we have to be careful when we talk about you know the whole conversation about you know seeing color, understanding color, but not necessarily not caring about color. Uh, but as you said, understanding the value that each experience from each background and every walk of life is able to contribute. There is value there in everything and in all of us, and I think that's what is supposed to make our country unique in that we are a country uh, full of of people from everywhere else that have had that that came to this country from different backgrounds and different walks of life to potentially try and add value, or at least that was the, supposed to be the, the case um, if Black people were brought over instead of not as slaves, but as actual citizens, the contributions that could have been made, you know, from from just being citizens or what have you. Um, I, I I think that we have to we have to highlight the fact that it's it's really about seeing the value in uh, the color or the background and the walk of life that is brought to to the table for the success and progress of our society and our culture and our way of life. Fair enough. I I think my I think my views on that are tapered by or formed by um, my Scientology background. In right. that I was part of a group where literally no one cared. You know, your body mm -hmm. just wasn't important. And that was sure. decades of that experience. That wasn't a couple years. That was decades. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on it, but I definitely get what you're saying. Variety is is crucial for uh, valuable. It's valuable, uh, and I think that that's the that's the the fight for equity within our society is because yeah. there is value that is brought to the table from every background and every walk of life. But when you have people in leadership positions that diminish or demean that value uh, of of individuals from other places, then we 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 perpetuate this idea that there is an inferior and a superior. Um, and we can never get to the to the to the equality and equity portion of the value that each walk of life and each background or each color, in a sense, brings to the table. Yeah, exactly. In terms of going back to the question you asked about where biases are formed and stuff, let's go ahead and talk about that for a second because I think it has a lot to do with where everybody is kind of coming from on this. You know, um, I had a lot of bad experiences with Scientologists. So obviously, and I said from the very get go on my channel. I am not unbiased 
about Scientology. I, it is impossible for me to be objective about it. I, and that'll be true for the rest of my life. Let me go ahead and throw this out there uh, for this this disclaimer. Uh, these are Chris's views about Scientology. I don't want to be attacked. Uh, just going to put that out there. Thanks. You're going to be fine. You're going to be. Don't even worry about it. You're fine. Not one guest on my podcast has ever been gone after by Scientology, and I've had okay. us on here trashing Scientology. So okay. no worries okay. about it. This is not a Scientology right. conversation. I only use it because my viewer, because my my audience understands it. Um. And everybody pretty knows, pretty much knows at this point how toxic and, and destructive Scientology actually is. And it is that way. That's true. There's no lies there. So you have this really bad thing and you talk about it in a bad way because that's where I come from. But I recognize that I am not objective about it. I, I had too much lived experience and suffered too much abuse from it. So I get it. I have all kinds of biases about Scientology. Therefore, when I see a Scientologist like Tom Cruise donate money to a charity, like, you know, a million bucks or something, it'd be really something significant. I just can't give the guy credit. I just can't. I, I just know Tom Cruise is a dick, you know, and not just because of his beliefs. The guy actually like took advantage of people in a really horrific way, right? He did things, which I've laid out in, you know, numbers of times. So I know he's not a good guy, but then he does a good thing and I just can't, I just can't acknowledge it. I just can't, right? So I get it. I actually, you know, that's a bias. That was formed, not at the hands of Tom Cruise. I've never met Tom Cruise, but I sure as hell have met Scientologists, right? And I <laughs> certainly have met David Miscavige, his best friend, and I, and I, and I know what they get up to. So I, 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 so everything I view about that subject and about him is through that lens. It is very, very easy for me to understand. It, in, incredibly, I completely agree that when you are brought up in a society where you are considered a second-class citizen just because of factors you never had any control over, such as your skin color, your ethnicity, your language, your, your education, et cetera. I mean, there's so many things we never got any chance to talk to, to have any choice in at all. Uh, where we were born, who we were going to be friends with, what race we were going to be part of, what language we were going to be speaking, where we were, you know, the, all of it, what family we were going to be born in, what socioeconomic status we were going to have. None of, no, none of us got asked. <laughs> it's just, here you go, make do, right? And away you go. So we all have that to start with. We didn't get any choice in the matter. And then we are raised in that environment where nobody's consulting our understanding as a two, three, four, five-year-old as to what religion we're going to be, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This just stuff is just dumped on us. And then when we finally start developing critical thinking skills and get past the hormonal rages of teenage years. Because <laughs> right? that does happen, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes, right? I remember your brain's years. not even done forming until you're 25, right? So right. you finally, after all these years and all this crap has been stuffed into you, now you're supposed to be a great human being. And you're like, okay, <laughs> right? According to the value system that was shoved off on you, and this is universally true. Everything I just said is just as true for a villager in China as it is for, you know, me growing up in Pasadena and you growing up in Chicago. All of that 
applies equally to all of us. And it's what we do with it that I think is, is really the test of character. But getting back to the bias thing, if you were raised in an environment where you are being oppressed by white cops, or you are being treated differently, being called names, being beat up, being abused, being, you know, getting, uh, you don't get the same opportunities. And I definitely have gone on rants about how there are zip codes, as Brett Weinstein has said, and I will happily repeat, there are zip codes where all of the opportunity has been sucked out. They are vacuums of opportunity. And it is a shame on the American society that we have allowed that to continue since the era of the Reconstruction. I mean, it is bad that that has been allowed to continue. And those demographics, those zip codes, that, that, that condition just reproduces generation after generation after generation because it's the path of least resistance. It's hard to go in there and change that. It takes real work. And who's got the time, right? So it never happens. And so these, these, these zip codes of lack of opportunity, all that opportunity gets put in other zip codes. And we have these imbalances. We have these socioeconomic imbalances and stuff. So if you grow up in a situation like that, of course you're going to develop all kinds of biases against those systems that are oppressing that area. Of course you are. How could you not? You'd have to be an extraordinary human being to not, re not react negatively to that kind of lack of opportunity in, the, in, the, in supposedly the country where the American dream is supposed to be real for everybody, you know, and it's just not. So, so I see those problems and I look at those and I go, man, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And when we focus only on one element of it and say, well, if we can solve this problem, somehow that might go away. I wonder, really, are we really approaching that from a realistic fashion, whether it's racism or whether it's economics or whether it's, you know, people don't have enough cars or something. I mean, you know, it could be any silly thing, but racism is not a silly thing. Racism is a very serious problem and it's a very real one. But is it the only problem and is it the thing that's causing this situation to go on, I don't know. And I don't think so. I would say no, right? Rather than say, I don't know. But now that I've said all this, <laughs> what's your... <laughs> what's your I, I, you know, I, I normally try to keep notes when I'm on, on, on shows like this, just to make sure I, I can encompass everything. But I think I got most of it. And in, in, in the conversation about biases, you know, I, I think that my challenge, my only challenge would be to, to, to that is when you're, when you're looking at when we're talking about racism, and, and we'll, 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 we'll take the perspective of, of biases that I might develop, right? And, and to kind of full circle back to kind of your, your, your point um, a while back about do I, what I have perceived biases about what could potentially be racism. When you look at, a, 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 at, at racism in, in general, when we look at the system that's 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 the oppressive system that we have in our in our society, which you you've acknowledged, you went and described it in in say a particular zip code, as we know in Chicago, uh, the actions of redlining, right? Yeah. Where these are neighborhoods that were only designated for blacks, 
the, the, the white communities were the, the affluent communities because of all the resources going to those communities. And as you put it, these zip codes, specific zip codes were no resources. So that means lack of money in schools and, and education or um, activities, after school activities, extracurricular activities, right? Uh, no, no resources for that, no resources for job opportunities because there's no funding for businesses to go in. We have to take a look at not just that one instance. And what I mean by that is, if in the event that was your, 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 that was your experience growing up, right? You, you, you were actually in a, an environment, uh, an area, excuse me, where you were considered the minority. Um, there were still privileges that were afforded to you based on the color of your skin. Uh, or there are still things that you didn't have to experience because of the color of your skin. I'll refer to, I've shared this on my social media. I shared this on Twitter, actually. I found this on Twitter, shared it on Twitter, and even wanted to share it on Facebook because it was really impactful for a person of myself, like myself who has been through this experience before. It's the, it's the cartoon illustration of like three tan dogs and one like brown dog. I don't know if you've seen it. But the police officer, so the police officer pulls over this, this group and they look like they're, you know, kind of young adults type age, if you will. At least I think that was the goal they were going for, because how can you tell with dogs, right? Um, but, you know, there were three dogs that looked the same and then one dog who was of kind of a darker shade that was sitting in the passenger seat. The officer that pulled them over was the same complexion as the other three dogs that were in the car. And the officer... He, he takes the idea of the driver, he looks around at all the three that look like him, and then he looks and kind of stares and even squints at the, other pass, at the passenger who does not look like them. And I think the whole caption of the whole thing was, you know, sometimes it's very subtle. It's not direct, it's not blatant, it's very subtle. When we talk about biases, my bias is that I experience or have been in, in positions to experience several of the systems that have been designed against me because of the color of my skin. So when we talk about the way people are treated because of the color of your skin, the lack of resources in your community because it was the color of the, the, the group of people that, was in, that, were, that were in that neighborhood uh, that particularly were black or people, even people of color for this example too. Um, lack of, you know, when we talk about um, uh, the ability to, to have equal um, salary options or, or, or wages for, uh, or the difference there, the wage gap between, between races, right? Because again, based on the color of your skin, all of these biases that are created based on these experiences that I've personally gone through, um, you have to take a look at to say, is, are these my biases or is that because this is the way the system actually is? Right? Are we? Are, am I? Am I? Do I have this lens because I'm just kind of biased on how I feel about how I'm treated as a black person, um, just because of I was the only person going through these experiences, or because this is actually how these systems are um, have been created? I think that you know, unfortunately, if if we have a conversation about biases and, and where biases stem stem from, there has to be an account of is it just perception or is it the actual reality of the way things are that's created a perception, um, right? So your example of, of Scientology is based off of your experiences and, and, and the way Scientology is set up. So is it then a bias or is it an actual reality of how you or how things operate within the system of Scientology? 
Um, and I think it's very important to to be able to, to 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 nuance those things and understand, you know, the difference in 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 each case. When we talk about racism, these are systems that that are impacted from several different angles, right? We're we're looking at a community of racist people just based on the color of their skin. Not only is the mindset that 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 we're supposed to be inferior based on the white supremacist system, but also here is the attack of everything on this community from all different angles, so that there's like oppression from like everywhere, right? Um, and and then I love the gaslighting that that uh, that gets thrown in when when people are like, well, Obama made it to president, or we have these wonderful black people in, in politics, or people who have made it like Oprah. Just because that's happened does not mean that these systems don't actually take place, or that they're not actually happening. Right, they're still there. They're still impacting. We're still, we're still, as a community of, of, of as a race of people, still dealing with the trauma of. And I think we talked about this on the show too. Still dealing with the trauma of slavery. Still dealing with the trauma of Jim Crow. And Jim Crow happened within the lifetime lifetimes of you know generations that are still here. Right. So, are, are, do, do the people that went through Jim Crow as the oppressed have a bias towards racism or a, a racist behavior? Right. Are they looking at that through racism, or is it just because these were systems that were actually created to uh, impact and affect and create obstacles for Black people solely based on the color of their skin, solely based on their on their race? So, biases are yes, are, it, it, it important to consider. But the, I think the, the, the caveat to that is to understand if these biases were created because of an actual system or because of just perception that, 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 uh, of experiences that you've gone through. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, bias, of course, is like this with perception. I mean, that's, that's, sure. that's, sure. that's just of how course. that is, right? Yeah. I wonder if there isn't room for nuance in this conversation about systems as well, is it all or nothing? Is it, you know, black and white, so to speak, right? I mean, is it like... Make sure you tune into the show every Thursday at uh, 7, 7.30 p.m. <laughs> yes, on <laughs> <laughs> Keep getting those plugs in. That's it. Um, Hey everyone, I want to introduce you to a new sponsor for my show, which I think is a vital service that especially now is something we might all want to avail ourselves of, and that is BetterHelp. If you are feeling anxious or sad or just want someone to talk to, who better than a licensed professional therapist? I know in the past there was some controversy with this, but that's been addressed, and I'm happy to endorse this service now. BetterHelp is a professional service which will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in your area. This is actually a worldwide service, not just here in the U.S. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions at your convenience instead of having to wait on theirs. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. 
It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. I endorse this service, but check it out for yourself. Visit their website and read their testimonials. And if you sign up using my special URL, you'll get 10% off your first month. Look them up at betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton. Pretty easy to remember, right? That's betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton. Sign up today. Because it seems that the conversation seems to go in the direction consistently of kind of a the wording, the words that are chosen, I don't, I, I, you know, they, these are not by accident. And I, and I feel that they frame the conversation and framing is everything when it comes to propaganda, when it comes to group, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word influence. Let's say influence. I don't want to say manipulation. It, you know, it's got nasty connotations to it, right? Um, I mean, we're all manipulating, uh, you know, in a way, but I don't, uh, you know, let's not, let's not go there. I just mean, when we're communicating to groups of people, we're trying to get them onto, you know, a way of acting or a way of thinking, or we're trying to push push things in a in a particular direction. Hyperbole has its place. Hyperbole definitely exaggerated claims, you know, hyperbolic statements um, are often made. Now, I think maybe more than ever before, tends to be a bit tends to make things very very rough. Um, and I have, and I, I find myself reacting to that element of it more so than the truth that I see and have experienced, uh, cause I've been on the receiving end of bad systems. I mean, if you're an American, you have the, the, ta- the tax system, the justice system, the, the, the work system. I mean, we've all had things happen to us that we went, what the hell? You know, I can't get a refund on, on this happened to me a couple days ago. I can't get a refund on a service that I just paid for, which is, you know, two days old. Cause sorry, you didn't give 30 days notice. And now I'm out 120 bucks. You're like, what the fuck? You know, like what the hell, man? I didn't, I, I just gave you money and you won't give it back to me. And you didn't give me anything in return. What the did hell they know you were white, Chris? That's, did, they, did, you, did you pull, did you pull the white card? You should yeah, pull the exactly. White card. Right. So <laughs> anyway, obviously our systems could use a little help sometimes. Right. I guess, but where I where I'm pushing back a little bit, or where I'm trying to talking about here, is kind of like, okay, has there been? Can we acknowledge that there's been progress? Can we acknowledge that? Can we have that be part of the conversation, or because the because what some people hear in these statements is there hasn't been any progress. It's still all bad. There's nothing good about any of this. And I don't think that's true. I I can't think that's true looking at history, but I'm asking you. Yeah. Has that's, there a, that's, a, that's a, that's a great question, Chris. And I, I, I will speak solely for myself and for my, for my own opinion in, in response to that. Yeah. I think that it's okay to acknowledge that we have made progress. Um, I, you know, I want to say that I'm, I'm, I'm not being hunted um, if I go into to any of the southern states, more than likely I could probably be okay without being hunted um, and 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 lynched as as often or as frequent as it was in you know the slavery or even Jim Crow era. Um, yes, we've made some progress, but I think unfortunately, when we talk about progress, I mean, if you want to just blanket and say we've made progress, sure, we can we can say there has been progress. We 
we we have people that are able to um, uh, uh, to actually achieve in in positions that probably would not have been able to have been achievable, you know, years back. So have we made progress? Sure. Unfortunately, though, I think that when and 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 I, I just have to kind of again share this as my opinion. I worry. I'm concerned that when people start accepting that there has been progress, then the people who, knew, who need to have these conversations stop having these conversations. And what I mean by that is, for the example, like the example that I used momentary, uh, a few moments ago, when people use the example of uh, the progress being, well, we got Oprah Winfrey or we got Barack Obama in, president, in a presidential uh, position, then they want to say, okay, so you know, you've, you, you, you've got it, you've made it, they're, 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 we're there. And it's not the case. And unfortunately, you know, I think that we saw that kind of take place after the civil rights movement, right? We got civil rights, we got rid of Jim Crow, and we kind of fell back from the need to continue pushing for equality. Because at the end of the day, we still haven't achieved what our push is for, what the push is for. You know, like with groups like Black Lives Matter or this new group that I just recently came across, BIPOC, I think it is, or Black Indigenous and People of Color, which I'm, I'm hoping that that group doesn't t- turn out being bastardized by the general public just because, but that's another, we'll get into that a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Um, but I, I think that when you, when you admit to the progress, it's, it's important to understand the level of progress, right? The level of achievement. Yeah, we don't have the same blatant systems anymore, but we have lingering, lingering effects from those systems that, that still haven't been addressed. We have uh, uh, systems that are still actually in place that no one is addressing. In fact, if you get a chance, check out on on <laughs> another shameless plug on Thursday both of our shows, the thirteen percent as well as uh, in black and white, will be addressing ways to. Uh, on our show, we'll be talking about how to attack the white supremacy and, and, and systems within uh, voting and candidacy. But the thirteen percent will be will be discussing institutional racism, and you know people still think that this is. I, I can't believe that I still hear people saying that institutional racism um, and systemic racism is a myth, and it doesn't it doesn't really exist. When we still have this evidence that it takes place, it still goes on um, within communities. We're not where we should be. We're not we're not even remotely close to uh, having the same type of as we talked about a minute ago value placed on everyone equally, that's, a, that's an American citizen. We don't have that yet. So if we say we have progress, um, the only reason that I, I don't boast about progress is because we really haven't achieved the level of what we need to achieve so that people can live comfortably in this country, not even based on socioeconomic level. Um, aside from that, we're speaking solely on, on racial injustices here. Um, yeah, there are systems that affect all of us socioeconomically, right? We get that. But we are still fighting for racial equality. For example, I can't even believe that, what, a couple of weeks ago, the, 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 federal, the, the Senate was arguing to make lynching a hate crime, a federal hate crime? Why is that a conversation in 2020? Why hasn't that been achieved decades ago, right? Jim Crow's over, but we're still talking about lynching as a federal hate crime in the Senate and passing laws against that? Are you serious? So that tells me that we still have, you know, with the, the we, we've made progress. Well, but we still have a long way to go. Um, and that's solely based on racial injustice. Again, not even a, a, acknowledging the socioeconomic uh, uh, systems that are in place that attack Americans as well. Fair enough. Well, I I think that there is a 
perception problem. <laughs> when that lack of pro- when that when that failure to acknowledge progress isn't acknowledged, um, I think you can get a kickback effect that you don't particularly want. Um, and by that I mean people start thinking, well, wait a minute. Okay. And again, this is this is difficult, it's nuanced, right? Okay, so. But wait a minute, Oprah, Jay-Z, Beyonce, you know, black president, like, like we have done those things. Those were unthinkable things to, to, to have a celebrity at the status of Jay-Z or Beyonce, you know, or Oprah, who has had, you know, single-handedly, you know, more influence on American thinking, middle, middle-class America housewife thinking specifically than probably any other single person. Thank you very much, by the way, for Dr. Oz. But you know, she did a lot of good too. I'm not gonna, I'm not ragging on Oprah, but I'm just saying that status was unthinkable in the 1950s, 1940s. It was just, it just wasn't even, it just wasn't even in the cards at all. So by failing to acknowledge that there is progress, I get the argument that, hey, we don't want to acknowledge it too much and then all rest on our laurels. We don't want to go, well, there's no, there's no thing. What's the thing? What's the problem? Right? Sure. That's that's the wrong end of the ex, of the extreme spectrum to go down. But at the same time, by not acknowledging the progress, it sort of invalidates the blood, sweat, and tears of generations of work that's been done to pass laws where it is unacceptable to not hire somebody or not pay them commensurate because of the color of their skin. I mean, that's that's a legitimate legal case now. That was not the case in 1950, not even remotely. Right, you weren't even going to get a lawyer in 1950, much less bring a case. So there has been tremendous strides, paid for with blood. Right, I mean, from day one, Martin Luther King Jr. has been one of my heroes. I mean, for the fact that he stood up and said no, you know, uh, and did something about it, I was like, God damn, I like that guy. (laughs) And that progress was very important. And I think there's a perception that can happen with movements like this where that is ignored or given sec, you know, yeah, but, and people like me go, no, no, not yeah, but, yeah. And I think to myself, well, it's not like we killed all the racists in 1969, it's not like we went back and 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 got and 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 sort of exercised from their heads all the biases, all the bullshit that they'd been raised with in the South, you know, where they had lynching parties and shit. I mean, I've seen the pictures. It's disgusting what was going on. You know, it's absolutely it's horrifying. It's just human rights atrocities up one side and down the other. But you you don't just take an eraser to everybody's head and just go, okay, all that's gone now. It takes time. And I know, see, and I know I'm saying things that racists say, and that's why this is difficult because I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) You know, it's like the free speech argument. You know, I have to sit here and say, you know, I hate Stefan Molyneux, but I really wish he wasn't deplatformed because they're going to come for me next, you know, and I'm really not down with that. Right. So it's like you end up having to say or defend or, or look like you are defending horrible people. And that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm trying to say if we want to get the vast majority of people on board with this, I think we need to have rhetoric that is 
aligned with facts and with truth. And the truth is that we have made progress and that there has been great strides made forward on this. And we just want to keep pushing the ball down the road because we ain't there yet, as you say. And I'm, so I guess what I want to ask is, do you agree with any part of that? And (laughs) what would, what would it look like? Like, how do we do this? Because the laws on the books are already there for the most part, they're already there, right? We have, well, I'm saying you, you, you got laws that specifically state up one side and down the other. We have a constitutional amendment. They say you cannot discriminate based on these things. It's the law of the land. We regulate society through laws. Everything else is culture. Everything else is opinions and, 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 and messaging and framing. So the laws are the only thing we can do to actually regulate behavior. Everything else is people talking and pushing back and forth. So where there is a there is a valid, I think a valid statement in we need some people to die, and a lot of them have. You know? So I mean what I mean by that is the generational racism. The oh, okay, gotcha. Thanks for clear clarifying yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I mean by that, right? Is we need the old folks who were raised in the 1800s, <laughs> right? With the 1800s mentality. So like, go away, right? We need them to not be around anymore telling the grandkids, oh, you know, rah, 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 racist statement, racist statement, right? Because that's how it's perpetuated culturally. It's not, it's not perpetuated through the, the, you know, when we talk about systems, we have to take the human nature aspect of the systems, that these systems are built by humans. There is no such thing as a perfect system. Not for everybody. Everybody's always going to, there's always going to be somebody who's got something to say about it. There's unfortunately in a land of 330 million people, there's always going to be somebody at the blunt end of the stick. And there are lots and lots of reasons for it. I've been at the blunt end of the stick. You've been at the blunt end of the stick. I mean, we've, we've all experienced it for lots of different reasons. So when we focus on this reason, we go, good, let's get rid of this. Let's stop this. Let's not have this be the blunt end of the stick anymore for anybody. So I guess my question is, how do we get there? And what does so, that look like? No, I, I, I thank you. I, so here's the thing. Uh, there's, there's a lot to kind of, to go yeah, through. I know, there, I know. I, I just piled on. Sorry. But no, 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 it's okay. Because I, I, you, you make valid points, but speaking of, of, from, from the point of, of acknowledging uh, the progress that has been made. Yeah. Uh, you went into that there are laws on the books. Mm-hmm. Let's take into account that there is a difference between, and and here's where I think our experiences differ. And I would probably, I would probably bet that it has a lot to do with 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 racial biases between you and I and racial experiences. Fair enough. It's kind of like the the there. White Americans are are kind of bred and taught that you can call the police to depend on the, the police to protect you, whereas Black Americans are taught that the police are, are there to come after you. They're coming to get you, and we we've seen this based on you know interactions or engagements um, consistently between uh, with the police between both both races. When you have laws that are on the books, right? It's it's great that there are laws on the books, but if nobody's enforcing those laws, then what do you really have? They can discriminate against hiring me because I'm black. But Illinois is an at-will state, so I can be fired for no reason at all 
And to the, my employers, it could very well be just because they didn't want another black person on their floor, what have you. Now, I can go and sue them and get some money for that, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it still happens. And what I mean by, by using that example is we can say that there are systems that are there to protect and, and provide equality because of the, the blood, sweat, and tears and lives that were, placed, that were spent um, during Jim Crow era for civil rights. We can say that. But if those systems aren't still being upheld, enforced, and, and, and managed, then what do we really have? Um, I, I, I'd love to say that in order to get the ball moving forward outside of, I don't really necessarily want people to die per se, but I get your point there. <laughs> I know um, you're really blunt and gross I when mean, I say that. I'm talking die. about the old racist assholes though. So, you know, fuck them, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but if that's what it takes, then, you know, get them out of there. so blunt about that. It's just awful. I know. <laughs> no, I get it though. Because I, I, I ask myself the same question, Chris. I wonder, is it going to take the eradication of an entire generation to get us past and get us, you know, toward having the, the, the moving the ball forward, moving the needle, if you will. And I, my response to that typically is, yeah, we have a pretty racially charged or racially uh, racist generation that's kind of at that upper top level there that's knocking on heaven's door. But we also look at the generations that come underneath my generation, which is the, the millennials, only because I don't claim to be a millennial. Side note, I just found out there's this micro generation called Xennial, kind of right in between Generation X and millennials. I claim that generation, that, that micro generation. It's great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, millennials and, uh, and generation and Gen Z, these are some of the most inclusive generations this world has ever seen. Right. And, so, and kind of is backing up my point about the multi-generational aspect of this. Sure. Um, but I, I, I do, I, I would have to say that we also have to be careful with their inclusiveness because with their inclusiveness comes an eradication of, of race altogether. And we, we stop seeing the value within what each race brings to the table because we're going to have race in our country for centuries to come. Right, um, but we can applaud them for the fact that they have been and that they are the, that most that that really inclusive have that really inclusive mindset. I mean, they came up with the term pansexual. Whoever came, heard of this term before the millennials came around and said, "Yeah, we're going to be pansexuals," um, and I applaud them for that. But I think what what what's really going to make a difference, and one of the God, I hate doing the shameless plug. One of the reasons that we created in black and white was because the conversations that need to happen need to happen amidst white Americans, right? Yes, we can talk about that there's been progress. And yes, white Americans can say, well, you know, we have made some progress here. But if, if, if white America isn't talking about and, and understanding the perspective of the people of color within this country, because remember, we, when, when we talk about this, when we talk about, about race uh, and racism, I should say, the, the, the white supremacist society that we have was created by white people. So it, it's going to take white people having the conversations to say, this is the value add that's, that's equal to the value add of me as a white person um, that black people bring or people of color bring or indigenous people bring, right? Understanding that there is equality in that value of each race. I think that's what gives way to the, 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 the demolishing of a white supremacist system. People of color, Black people, Indigenous people have been fighting this fight for centuries. 
centuries. There is, and I say this all the time, there is nothing that you can probably say, an idea that you can come up with, that these marginalized communities have not done before. There's nothing. Everything, excuse me, you can think of has already been done by these groups, by Black people, by Indigenous people, by people of color or Latin communities. When, we, when, when, when you have the conversation, like you have a platform here, right? How often are you engaging, which you probably do, but I, let's say people with platforms like you, how often do, are the conversations coming up where you have race conversations and bring in the perspective of marginalized groups or communities so that people can see, hey, there, here's a different perspective, and here's why that, that different perspective actually has value. Um, I think that that's what's, what's really going to push that ball forward to achieve the level of progress that you're looking to get the compliments for, if I, to, to kind of put it out that way, right? We want to we acknowledge that there's been progress, and sure, that's great, but the level of progress that, we were, that we're looking to actually acknowledge as a, as a, as a, a continued win or a, a, a win to celebrate is when we can start having these discussions that include other marginalized communities, other, other communities that are, are deemed as inferior just based on the color of their skin, including that as a valuable contribution to our society. Excluding right. the fact that, go I, ahead. Well, I just, I, I mean, the things that come to mind when you say things like that are, wait a second, rock and roll is not jazz. These are not acknowledged, heavy, huge, gigantic, world-changing contributions that came from the black community. <laughs> I'm glad you know. That doesn't I mean, mean that. Well, I think I, mean, I learned that from other white people making documentaries about it. I mean, I this is not like some you know obscure lore hidden in some book in the bowels of a library somewhere. I mean, this is you can go on Netflix. I, I would this stuff. say that that, but look, look at how recently that we've gotten to having Netflix that we can share that information, right? So, so oh, that no, people. I, I, I'm tracking. I'm just saying that that is that that's the kind of thing. I'm not looking for compliments. I'm looking for an acknowledgement of the fact that it's not just a lot of minority, marginalized people who have suffered and sweat and bled to make this happen. Sure. A lot of white people have died so that these rights can be secured to the place that we've got them to. That and never you know, seems to get mentioned in any of this. And I got to well, go, what I, are I we doing depends, here? Or yeah. that kind of depends on where you're having the conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's highly acknowledged in, in, in conversations that I've, that I've engaged in. You know, for example, it, we know that it took uh, the Northerners and white America, uh, specifically white Northern Americans, to see the treatment of uh, the inhumane treatment of black people in the South once the TV was invented to stand up and say, oh, well, now this is not right. We need to do something about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it took that, but look what had to happen. The TV had to be invented um, and it, it had to get televised, right? People had to allow that to happen so that people can actually see this is actually what's taking place to black Americans that's inhumane um, for for civil rights movement to to to. I guess in, in, in the, the description that you use, kind of push that ball a little bit further or a lot further than where it was previous to, to having that exposure. So, um, you know, I, 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 you're right that, that, that there is progress that can be acknowledged. Absolutely. 
But I still think that there is, there, with the fact that we have, and I, I totally understand your point of if in the event you don't accept, I mean, if you don't acknowledge that, that progress, then you'll probably get a kickback there of, you know, people just being like, well, you know what? You don't, forget it. We're not even doing it because we put all this work in and nobody's grateful for it, right? I get that. Um, I, I think, though, that when we talk about anti-racism, it's going to take that consistent work because here's the thing. At the end of the day, um, we can say, hey, we've made some progress and acknowledge that we've made progress and then kind of take a breath. And when I say we, I mean white Americans. Um, so I probably shouldn't say we. Um, white Americans can say we've made progress and acknowledge that there has been progress made and be like, all right, cool, let's take a break for a second and then, and then we can resort to another fight somewhere within this, this racial pandemic or epidemic that we have. But you have the marginalized communities, the communities of color um, and, and black people who never get that break. They never get that, 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 that moment to, to stop and say, all right, well, all right, we, we beat this here. Let's, let's, let's move our efforts over to here because the system is designed to acknowledge the inferiority of, of, of people of color and, 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 and blacks and, and, and highlight white supremacy. Uh, a white supremacy. So if let, we want me, to take a mo let me Let me interrupt you for just a second there, because that's, sure. that's a claim you've made a few times. And I want to ask you about that, because I don't, well, I want to make sure I understand exactly what you're saying. Because sure. it, it tends to become almost, for me, it, it tends to become an almost a thought-stopping cliche, which is a, a phrase that's used in order to just shut down conversation, not keep it sure. going, or shut down thinking specifically. Okay. Uh, that's why thought-stopping cliche, right? So, you know, white systems of oppression, um, you know, the, this white supremacist system, I'm sorry, but I just don't see it that way. Now, you know, I get to say that I'm a white person. So some people are automatically going to dismiss me from that. Well, I haven't had a really great white experience, folks. So, you know, say what you want about that, but okay. But more to the point, how does that, how do we say something like that? Sure. So it's, there's a couple of things there that, that, that we have to acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I think that you and I could walk down a very similar path in life, a very parallel path in life. We don't have to go into what similarities we have in our, in our lives. I don't even know at this point how old you are, but that's fine. We don't even have to get to that. Um, but, oh, so, well, that, that, there's a lot more to that than two. Um, but so we can say that we walk down a very paralleled um, way of life. However, there are things that are afforded to you based on the color of your skin that's undeniable, that, that's, that's inarguable. Um, you are, so you are probably going to receive different treatment in certain places, just because you're white. Now you Whereas, said probably there. Yeah. So I mean, it's not a certain. I, I I can't for certain say that it's necess that is going to happen. No, of course not. Right. But we can say based on based on the track record of maybe say a, a, a particular uh, place or a specific situation, based on what has occurred repetitiously, repetitively. Excuse me. Um, in this. So in this situation, in, in this particular regard, you're, you are going to get, you will probably get treated differently than I will solely based on race. Um, so when we look back at these systems that have, have been created to separate races, 
the systems that are that have been created were created specifically. And I don't use white supremacist as a kind of like I said, like you mentioned a what was it thought stopping uh, cliche, yeah, cliche, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. not not at all. I'm using it as a as as a reference for the system that we still deal with that that has been designed in our in our in our culture, excuse me, in our society, and in our country, um, that we're still fighting against. The inherent mentality is that that white is the race that is the, the correct race. It's like like we talked about earlier. White people don't even realize that they have a race as being white until later on in life. Whereas as people of color identify quickly because they have to, we have to identify and understand that here is where I, because of my race, because of the color of my skin, I'm going to be, I potentially could be treated differently um, and potentially inferior to my white counterparts um, just based on the color of my skin. So when I use the term, you know, that, that, that terminology of white supremacy, it's, it's, it's literally to, des- to, to describe the system that, that when we talk about anti-racism, that's what we're fighting against. And I'm not saying that, and let's, let's, let's acknowledge the, the progress that we've made, right? White supremacy isn't as blatant as it, as it was in the civil rights era or in the Jim Crow era or so on and so forth. Uh, so, excuse me, civil rights, Jim Crow, or, or slavery era. Uh, but this, it doesn't mean that the system does not exist. It doesn't mean that there are still lingering effects from that system. And it doesn't mean that, that, that when we talk about um, fighting racism and we're, 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 we're attacking racist behavior, that it's not derivative of white supremacy and that system. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> difficult. It's difficult for me because I, I see what you're saying. It's not like I don't get it. You know, I just, something seems off about it to me and I'm, I'm still trying to get my exact finger on the problem of it. Um, is there an end in sight here? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's. It, it, I. am still. I understand I, that, that, because you're a critical thinker, so I, I. I get it. It's almost like when I. When, I, I, when I jokes can't are help made, it. I just. I, I think. You know. E, e, uh, Ethan has to has to has to give me the heads up that anytime I make a statement, he he has a, a slew of friends that are skeptics, so they're going to come questions about things that are stated. So well, it. you know, there the way the the way I think my problem is the framing of the problem more so than the fact that the problem exists. And while that sounds a little funny, I, I, I'm, I'm, I try to be specific. I try to be very exact about this because I think words matter. And, you know, when you talk about a white supremacist system or that it was designed that way or something, it's sort of like the idea that, that there's a God that intelligently designed us or that intelligently designed life or something. And you kind of go, no, you know, as an atheist or as an agnostic, I can look at the science of evolution and go, it's a bunch of random components that came together in a particular way to form what we now know as life. And I can see that argument. I go, okay, is there a causative agent there? In a deep kind of philosophical way, I sort of think there is or there, or there must be in some fashion because we don't have an answer to the question of why life in the first place. But the evolution, the, the, the science doesn't allow for a causative agent. The science says, look, there are these, there's random mutations and this is how we develop and here's how it goes and, and we all roll out this way. So, there, so you can use the framing of intelligent design to talk about the evolution of life, that there's some force purposefully creating it, or you look at it as a confluence of millions of factors that come together to form this product that we don't like so much. 
and we want it to be better than it is. And we want, and we've been given through evolution the capability of judgment and the capability of changing that. So I look at the systems we create in a similar way, and maybe this is the philosophical difference in, in our viewpoint about how we're looking at this, is I don't assign causative agents with nefarious purposes and smoke-filled rooms to, you know, to what this is all about. I look at it as an evolution of millions of contributions that have created our society, any culture, any society. This is how they develop. And you, you contribute directly as an individual to what our society is, as do I, as does every other person who's part of it. So I, I look at redlining and I go, yes, there's a specific example of some bullshit. There is some people who got together and decided to do some bullshit. And that was fucked up, right? That was wrong of those people to do that. I could say that's a systemic problem, or I could look at it as those that group of people in that time, in that place, did that thing that contributed to this mass of what we now have. And I and I and I guess that's a bigger picture look, or and I don't say that in a superior way. I'm just talking about vantage points, you know. You know. So let me interrupt you for just a second and yeah. and, and highlight some things there. Yeah. I, and, I, and I get that. I, my, my, so initially, when you say that, my first question to you is, or my first statement to you would be, well, why would you even have to worry about it? Why would you even, you, you, it, it's not something that, you know, these systems that, that, that when we talk about white supremacists, a white supremacist system, why would you have to know about a white supremacist system? The system is designed to benefit you based on the race, uh, the color of your skin and your race. So, I mean, hats off to you for critically thinking it through, but you wouldn't have to, right? It's, this, the system wasn't designed to cr create obstacles for you to be successful or progress. Would rather it was designed to create obstacles for people of color. So you wouldn't know those obstacles, right? That's what we call privilege. You wouldn't know those obstacles because you don't have to see them. It's just like being a, being a guy in this patriarchal society. We don't have to, we don't walk down the street worried about people whistling at us and catcalling us because that's not our world, right? Um, so, and, and that's a, a different type of perspective when we talk about systems, but to use that as an example, um, perception. Um, <clears throat> when, when, we, when we look at we can we can use redlining and you say this group of people did that thing but let's if you were to look at redlining as a as a system that was not necessarily just a specific group of people but rather um let's let's look at it as the powers that be that intentionally designed this one particular system for an obstacle as an obstacle uh for blacks to keep them out of white areas right to 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 legitimately say these these people are not on our level so they don't belong in our neighborhoods they don't deserve our money for school systems and resources let's take that into account when we look at the criminal justice system and how you know let's just look at stop and frisk for 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 an example that was targeted for towards people of color black and brown people you have all of these systems and then I guess to your point, if you want to say that all of these systems created white supremacy, a white supremacist system, then maybe sure. That, that I, you know, I, 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 that might go along with the theory that you have there. But at the end of the day, or the bottom line here is that there is a system, there are systems that are in place that were designed to create the, the, the inferior versus superior ideology between races as whites being the superior race, creating the white supremacist society. 
So I think that 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 really more more so explains the the, the perspective that I have of when we talk about a white supremacist society versus um, just things kind of coming up in our society that created obstacles for people of color or black people. Okay, fair enough. Well, I I mean I think we look at it differently as far as cause and effect, and sure. you know I've spent. Um, well, you know, I've spent the last seven years educating myself on a lot of crap that I didn't that I didn't get a chance to look at, you know, when I was uh, coming up. And um, the peak behind the government systems and their formation, their evolution, has gone through. I mean, I've watched documentaries. You know, Ken Burns is great for that. Um, Civil War documentary, especially by the way, um, just masterpiece. Uh, you have to send me some of those. I have to check them out. Oh yeah, no. Ken Burns' documentary on the Civil War is kind of a PBS thing. You have to go look that up, but it's uh, it's quite an education, and uh, radically so, right? Radically so. Um, and so I, so I, you know, so when I talked also, by the way, earlier about sacrifice and and how many whites have died for this, I actually go, I take it all the way back to the Civil War because that was the most violent thing that we've ever done as a country, and we did it to resolve this problem that, you know, the whole state's rights thing that the South goes on and on about. Yeah, sure. That was a factor, but let's not fuck around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was about slavery. Exactly. A lot, a lot, a lot of people died to, Mm -hmm. to make that, to change the course of that. And, um, you know, and you look at it and you just go, Jesus, man. I mean, the, 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 the freed slaves or the, or the escaped slaves weren't even allowed to fight for the first couple of years for the North. They wanted to. They were itching to. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. You know, and, and they, there was all kinds of issues there. Um, so I'm just, so historically, I take it all the way back to the beginning that there have been a lot of people who have disagreed with that situation from the very beginning. And again, it's not a matter of trying to look for compliments. It's trying to acknowledge the historical accuracy of what we're talking about. You know, that's, that's all, that's the only angle I sure. can from. I'm not and, seeking and, like, oh, a good white person. I'm seeking right. this happened and then this happened and then this happened. So if we want this to happen, this future event to happen, then let's look at how these things happened, we've made how success. this ball was moved down the road, sure. who sacrificed and why, you know. Chris, you know, Chris, that's actually oh. why I made the point there. I, I Sorry to interrupt. I just have to say yeah. it uh, um, earlier, like in the civil, in the civil rights, in the civil rights movement, right? We saw the, what, what got, what really kind of pushed over the edge was when white people saw what was taking place inhumanely to black Americans. Mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery was murdered in the street. We had video of it. And I just did not see the, the same outrage that really should have come from white America as well as black America. Black America was already in a, a, up in arms about it. Okay, right? We made a hashtag about it. And we started, we, we, we started posting about it on social media. But it's really going to take, it really is going to take, if we look at the successes and how things have happened in the past, right? Uh, it's going to take, White Americans who have created this system or we're, 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 are benefiting from this system, excuse me, to understand that, that, that that's the benefit, understand where, what it's creating as far as obstacles for people of color and work on changing that, whether it encompasses all of us changing it 
or just white Americans, white Americans changing it so that it is beneficial and equitable for everyone in this country. We like to say equitable, but we know we still have socioeconomic things to tackle. And dear Lord, that's a whole nother show topic. Uh, oh, another time, day. Right. right? Uh -huh. The broader question of classism. And and that's a that's a show I'll talk about all day long because right. you know because that's got I mean, I try everybody to be a pretty, getting into that mix you know I'm a pretty classy guy from time to time at least I try to be but I can't really say if if I am or not I don't know whose standards we're looking at so no you're pretty you're pretty classy to me <laughs> I, and I and actually what you just said I think is the key and I think it's the heart of the matter as you know is hey when are enough white folks going to care about this that that the tide's going to turn, right? And, um, or turn all the way. I mean, again, you know, this, this thing of like, oh, you know, have we turned it? Is this a constant fight? Yes, it has been. Yes, the dial has turned. Yes, the ball's moved down the road. Is it all the way there? No. But what does all the way there look like? And I think I have to be honest about this, not because, you know, and people will interpret this however they want to interpret it, but you know, I'm only trying to look at at science, and I go. So, is there a future where there's no bias? No, not if we're still human beings. It, not not if our brains keep working the way that they're working. Right? We categorize. We we predict and we categorize. We predict and we categorize. That's learning. That's what we're doing. We're constantly doing that. Right? So we put things in boxes. We've got millions of boxes up here that we put stuff in, and there's no way around it. That is how we think. We think in discriminatory ways. So is there an end to the, you know, to racial bias, ethnic bias, class bias, you know, male, female bias, any kind of bias? No, there isn't. So let's, so let's take that off the table. And then I go to, then, then the only place I know left where we can go is tolerance, is agree to disagree, is, is understanding that we might not always be on the same page, but we all got to get along anyway. You know, we're going to be different and we have to be able to tolerate those differences because we can't ignore them. We can't pretend they don't exist. We, you know, we, we just can't. It's impossible for us to. So instead, you know, recognizing the contributions that the variety of our lives make, you know, I think that's kind of where I think of when I think of where we should go with this or what are we trying to accomplish and some of the, and here's to, to, to bring this to this back to what we were just talking about with systems, what I feel, what I get the impression of when I'm, when I listen to the rhetoric that is spread right now about deconstruction, revolution, you know, that these, that the leadership of Black Lives Matter claimed outright to be Marxists. And I go, well, okay, so that means a very specific thing, or it can mean a, a series of things that have to do with revolution, overthrow, taking things apart. And I go, really? Is that the direction we want to go in? Do you think after all these hundreds of years of, of changing the system slowly, for sure, you know, definitely too slow, multi-generational, that's, you know, biases don't just disappear overnight. So... That's the reality. It's it, it's beyond my opinion. It's just an empirical fact that we are slow to change. But we have these movements. We have these times when the ball really gets pushed forward. You know, this, the 50s and 60s, for example, big, huge changes. Now or we're 2020. Yeah. Now we're faced <laughs> with the potential for another great change, for another real move. I Like I said at the beginning, and as I've said throughout, I want that to happen. So if so if the rhetoric, though, is tear it all down, deconstruct, destroy, 
right? Do you think that really helps the conversation? Because I don't. I don't think that language and that framing is useful. I think it scares the hell out of people. And I think white, black, brown, blue, I don't care. I I think you start talking about tearing down the structures of society and people legitimately and, you know, legitimately, rationally freak out. Go, what are you talking about? You know, this is why this is why the defund the police thing was just so such a, a backwards way to put it. You know, it, it should have been reform the police from day one. Everybody was on board with that, but when you have to translate it, it loses its effectiveness. It gets watered down, and 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 you and you generate bias against you right from the get go, and then no one's even listening to you anymore. Sure, and those That's a great are point. concerns with this, right? Yeah. And um, and I guess the radio host thing was a perfect example of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not even like they're trying to not listen to you. It's just, it just happens. <laughs> and then we can even assume racist motivations for it when that has nothing to do with what, you know, it has to do with you didn't frame the problem properly in the first place. So people got the wrong impression and immediately started knee jerk kicking back against it before you even had a chance to really say your piece. And, and, and I pushed back against that. I tried to explain that and people just weren't, you know, there was a certain set of people who weren't interested. Right. You know, you know, there's a few things there, Chris. I, I, I just recently heard in a, in a, in a, in a Facebook thread that it, one of the founders did an interview that um, indicated that they were, um, I can't remember if it was a he or she, which which founder it was, but one of the founders was um, trained in Marxism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, I, I haven't seen the interview. I, I don't know what was said. And I don't know, as we all know, some media tends to do, take excerpts and kind of run with that as the statement of, 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 you know, whatever they wanted the statement to be. I don't know what that statement was and the context of that statement. However, I think that with this particular group, a few things here. I understand your point of if you you don't frame things correctly, you're going to get kicked back. If people are going to misunderstand not what you're saying, not agree with what you're saying because it's misinterpreted or so on and so forth, a myriad of things if you're not stating uh, things effectively and correctly, right? We see that with our own current leadership and administration. Um, so <laughs> I get that. I, I think my my concern is, my, my, my worry about this is, and as I mentioned earlier that we can get into a little bit later, is how we've taken an organization that was literally started because of a need to acknowledge the value of life, the treatment of life, the inhumane treatment of life at the hands of police officers and with racial injustice, um, all of these things that need to be highlight, highlighted. And it started because of this one incident and, and, and grew really from there. I, my, I, my concern becomes, are we bastardizing this organization and, and shredding it to nuances because of uh, the, the level of achievement that it is, is or acknowledgement that it's gained? Not to say that that's the case, but I wonder, if we're if we're looking for ways to negate this organization versus saying, "Hey, maybe they shouldn't say that," they should say this. I am baffled on a 
daily basis. I'm just going to put this out there. Mm-hmm. I am baffled on a daily basis at how often supporters of our current administration have to explain what he meant when he said. It's all, it's daily. It's literally daily. There has to be an interpretation given to something that he might have said, spoke out, and what he really meant was. And yet there are still the supporters who rally behind him 100%. So if that happens on, on, in, in, that, in that aspect or that regard... Um, you're you're talking about the president now. The president, yes. Yeah, president of the United States. Right, president of the United States, yes. Yeah. Um, to be clear about which 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 administration we're talking about and the current one, yes, uh, and that, that totally, and yes, you are absolutely <laughs> on about that. Yeah, he is not a great speaker, <laughs> and and a, but a lot of the information that that is given as the leadership of our country is suspect, right? It's not. I mean, I I to go off on a tangent. How is as the president of the United States do you not know that Juneteenth is this celebration of freedom for Texas slavery? How do you not know that as the president, right? Um, but anyway, be that as it may. So on the flip side of that, you have an organization that has, you know, maybe made a statement of a leader who's been trained in Marxism as now running with this group is all about, um, you know, Marxism or the, that's, they went with the defunding uh, of the police. Well, this was an organization that was created because of how police officers treated black lives. Why wouldn't they? go with defunding the police. Maybe it could be a, a situation of saying, you know, we rally around saying, hey, love your movement. Um, defund the police probably isn't the right, wing, right thing to do. Let's try this as, as, as the direction to go. And they could very well go back, or re- respond back and say, no, we need to break down what policing looks like in this country because policing is based off of this and is, is utilized to, uh, to attack black lives, right? That could be their their response to that. Um, there, there may be some fallacy there, but at the end of the day, it was created as a response to the, the treatment of, of, of Black lives in this country, and it's, continually, it's continuously under scrutiny because of, or I wonder if it's continuously under scrutiny because of the level that it's achieved as far as acknowledgement's concerned. It's, I mean, when you get into the public eye, you become a bullseye. The bullseye mm-hmm. put on your forehead, no matter who you are, no matter what your race is, no matter what you have to say. You can be Britney Spears and somebody's going to come after you, right? I mean, she's the whitest white girl I know, and there you go, right? I mean, yeah, they came after her. Stop bragging on yeah. her hard enough for yeah. her <laughs> mental illness or her, you know, shaming her for, for being fat, you know, blah, 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 right? Every single thing. So, sure, sure. so pretty much, pub, you know, yes. Could that be a reason why an organization of any kind would be scrutinized or complained about or criticized? Absolutely. No question about it. Would that be the only reason? Absolutely not. And let me make an analogy. And this might actually surprise you. It surprises a lot of people. The Church of Scientology has one of the most effective PR campaigns for human rights on the planet. If you look up human rights, Scientology's front group called the Youth for Human Rights comes up. And the educational material that they have put together around the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is where I learned about it, right? Eleanor Roosevelt is the one who put it all together after World War II. She was like, okay, it's enough of this bullshit. We need to all get together. We need to recognize every human being has rights. 
And we need to do something about that to actually get everybody on board with that. There's still two or three nations who haven't ratified the damn thing, as far as I know. But it's still this wonderful document that, you know, that anybody really should be getting on board with. It is not without irony that I notice that the Church of Scientology, right? I come out into the big wide world and I'm thinking human rights is a thing. Not so much. So then I start looking into, well, who's, talk, who's talking human rights? The Church of Scientology, are you, what? Right? I mean, I was you know, trafficked by this organization for three straight Ooh. years. I was a labor slave. And that is not a hyperbolic word, right? right. It's, it's not a program, right? I'm not right. messing yeah. around when I use those words. Sure. Nobody was whipping me, but I was physically abused. Right. Mm -hmm. I did have I, I broke my finger, didn't get to go to the hospital for a full day. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happened to me physically and emotionally under the reign of the Church of Scientology. So for them to be putting out the most effective human rights promotion in the world. And as far as I can tell, it is. It educates on a brilliant level to children about human rights. It blows me away. Knowing that knowing the level of duplicity that can occur with organizations and being the only thing I get to claim expertise in for real is cults. I know cults. I know cultic thinking. I know extremism. That is something I am definitely on. And so my suspicion or my hackles came up on this actually a couple of years ago. It wasn't this whole thing that started my looking at BLM, I looked at it from the get-go. You can go back in my podcast, and I've been, thankfully and happily, a, a big supporter of this from day one in terms of I was talking about Philando Castillo when it happened. I was talking about Michael Brown. I talked about you know Trayvon Martin. I, I, I've done those deep dives, and I talked about them on my podcast. So I, I know I'm on the right side of this as far as all that goes. But I also know that just because an organization has a front or a public image, and that there is a whole bunch of people who get on board with it at the public level, at the, at the outside levels, at the outer layers of it. I know that just because that's happening doesn't mean that that's an accurate reflection of what's going on at the core of the organization. And years ago, when BLM started, I went to the websites, I read the manifestos, I looked through the stuff. It's, it's not even on their current website anymore the stuff that I was reading back then about how Blacks should have their own communities. I mean, there was segregation being pushed. There were, you know, there were things being talked about then that were disturbing to me. I went, wait a minute, this isn't towards racial equality and tolerance and, and let's all get along. This is, this is in a different direction entirely. And so I just kind of noted it at the time, said my piece about the incidents because I thought the police abuse and, and oppression was absolutely out of control and something needed to be done about it. This reminded me of all that more recently with the, with the Minnesota incident, with the George Floyd incident, and with the uh, Aubrey incident. And I went, whoa, you know, this, this here it is again, right? It keeps coming up. We need to do something about this. And so, you know, you said, well, defund the police was, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's take them, let's take it apart. And I go, an actual solution to this problem of police oppression doesn't involve tearing it all down. So, no, no. so that's well, let me, why let I me, question that. You know what I mean? Let me just be clear real quick. I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't saying defund the police. I was saying that this was a group who was started out of 
uh, the treatment yes. of, of police officers. So they may very well align with defunding the police right. being their perspective, right? It, well, um, exactly. And, that, and I don't think that hashtag was an accident. I don't sure. think that the deconstruction of our society as a as a method of solving this problem is I don't think I'm misrepresenting the facts when I say that's what the core ideology of this group is about because I've looked at it. I went I I I spent the hours, I did the research, I shut up, I listened, I watched, you know, I did all that. And so this is kind of, in a way, a lot of what's happening right now that's now on, you know, in everybody's living room is, is, is part two for me, you know, because I've been down this road already and I talked about it. And I didn't, um, I didn't talk about it from the perspective of black lives don't matter, shut the fuck up. I talked about it from, I want this to happen. And I see that there is an ideology being pushed here that, is, that, that I don't think is going to actually make that happen. It's going to do something else in the same way that Scientology has an ideology at its core that makes something different happen than human rights. So on the outer layer, they have all this wonderful material about human rights, and you go in a few paces, and you end up agreeing with an ideology that is not that. And that's been the heart of my problem with this from day one. And it's hard to talk about. Sure. So, yeah. You know, let me, let me ask you this question, Chris. Um, your pers- what is your perspective? Mm-hmm. What is your opinion about? Let's, let's do that. <laughs> perspective or opinion. Either one, whichever way sure. you want to go with that. Uh, of two different groups or organizations. Um, the Black Panther Party and uh, the Muslim community that was formed when Malcolm X was uh, within the civil rights era. What are your opinions on either of those two groups? I mean, I have done um, a whole podcast on the Nation of Islam. Um, So I guess, you know, I I know about that group. You know, if we're talking about that group, I know about that group. I mean, the belief system there is radically wild, to say the least. Um, You know, um, what's his name? Jacob and the whole... I mean, they got a pretty interesting mythology. Um, in terms of the uh, in terms of the Black Panthers, how I see movements, because I looked, I first analyzed this with the atheist movement when I got when I got involved with with being an atheist. Right? If you have your firebrands, you have your people on the bleeding edge. You have you guys out there who are like the hyperbolic, exaggerated, you know, we must bring everything down, down with religion, destroy all religion, the Christopher Hitchens kind of approach of, you know, religion sucks and it all should just be destroyed and what the hell is anybody believing in God for? That's ridiculous. And that is, I guess I look at it in in a sense of a movement. I look at that as the as necessary as a necessary part of a movement even though nobody likes it because it's the part it's in a, in a negotiation which is what a movement is it's the part that asks for way more than you're ever going to get <laughs> mm-hmm. in order sure. to get the more moderate position if you only ask for the moderate position you don't even get that right so that's yeah, how i look at it yeah. you know 
Um, and I first analyzed that with the, um, I don't think that's any, you know, original thinking. I'm sure that's in some sociological textbook somewhere or something. But I think that with movements, um, you have a, a push-pull between the elements of the movement, which is the more excessive extreme end of the movement, which is always going to exist in some fashion, no matter what, um, and the more moderate or more reasonable or rational or whatever word you want to use for it, right? I'm not saying Malcolm X was irrational by any sense. The man was quite smart, but you know, you, but he was also quite passionate, you know, yes, and, and originally, so. initially he was like, you know, kill them all. Right. And then, <laughs> and, and then he kind of walked back from that because he went, Hey, wait a second. That's not how we're going to get this thing done. And right. he sort of deconverted himself from his own extremism. And then they took him out as a result, which was really sad. Horrible. Um, so, so I, you know, so that's kind of how I see that is I do see it as necessary, but I see it and it's necessary only because human nature is so flawed that we can't just jump right to the reasonable part in the at the beginning and go, hey, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. We, right. we can't do that for some stupid reason. So is it safe to say then or to assume that at the junction that we're in currently that the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, excuse me, Black Lives Matter organization is something along those lines? It's very possible. And I have considered that. I have looked at that. And if that's true, and if that is how this should be framed, and I'm not sure that it is, I'm not sure that the people who are running this thing understand what I just said, right? But if they do, or even organically or instinctively, I'm the guy who pushes back so that we get the reasonable. <laughs> the moderate, right, exactly. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> well, I want that. I want, and, and you know, that's the thing here. I, I honestly believe, for, well, first, let me say again, I don't speak for the, the organization, um, only speaking on my opinion. And also, um, not really, I, I've done some research within the organization, um, but really haven't, haven't completely dove into it. But what I appreciate about the organization is this, is that they've acknowledged and put on a platform um, all black lives. And what I mean when I say all black lives, identifying as black and gay there is still a discrimination that comes for, uh, to, towards, being, towards being gay. Um, and having to deal with both fronts is a fight. It's a battle. And it's exhaustive, frankly. Um, and I think that with them putting a highlight on the LGBTQ Black community as well as the Black community, because, you know, we are, I don't remember who recently declared an epidemic of Black trans women's lives being lost at an alarming rate, open cases that exceed other murder, uh, open murder cases. Um, you know, they, they rank the top, amongst the top open cases still to this day. Um, I, I think that what they've done is created this, this acknowledgement of, of, of these, what would have once maybe been considered, or not even considered, you know, valuable at, at, at any point or any juncture. They've created a platform that, that, that gives perspective and highlight to communities that I identify with. So for me, I can appreciate what they're doing in regards to utilizing that platform, the strides that they've made to continue the awareness um, and, 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 and continue activism for those communities. When we talk about, you know, and, and, and again, the bastarding that takes place of this organization, whether it be this political affiliation that they have or their intention to dethrone this, this entire regime of, of, of America. Let's be real. Does this, do they really have that capability? And 
They can't, they can't do that by themselves. You, you have to incorporate all of white America to do that. You know what I mean? So um, I, I think that it's, it's been pushed to this extreme of an organization that's almost, like I said, like it's been deemed as terrorist organization, all because, all after stemming from a need for this organization. So has it you know, gotten radical? Potentially so. But we had radical groups in the past, like the Nation of Islam, like the Black Panther Party, that have that have that have gone to the extreme so that we could find, as you pointed out, the moderation needed for us to continue acknowledging progress within a, uh, racial equality. Yeah, I I I'm willing to see that so so far. <laughs> but, Fine, Chris. Right. Well, only in, only in that I've got more than a little familiarity with how extremist organizations work, and they don't. That's true, I'm sure. Yeah. They're not about, you know. Okay, now we'll back off. You know, now that we've accomplished sure, yeah. X, Y, and Z, now we'll back off, right? Or now we're going to change our ideology or something. And I'm not saying that they are, but as yeah, you mentioned, there, there, the necessity for them is to achieve, or the the contribution that they provide is the achievement of that moderate. Um, Progress, right? Um, Fair enough. Well, I say I would really recommend looking in deeper to it to you um, as far as what the ideology actually consists of and what critical race theory is and what it's about. Well, I, you know, I, you know? I, I don't, why? Well, because it is the philosophical principle on which this movement is based. And these principles are not principles that get you where you want to go and that's it i just and there's my disagreement that there's where we probably differ in perspective there yeah for me i i i my activism involvement with black lives matter is as as you you are is simply because black lives matter right and there's too often that black lives don't matter so we need to say black lives matter so people understand black lives matter how many times can i say it on the show Right. Is there a record? Uh, let me know if I if I no, no, you're my, good. my max. You're good. Okay, good. So, so for me, I don't necessarily need to get behind or involved with an organization specifically that says Black Lives Matter. They're doing great things, you know, and and hats off to them for the great accomplishments that they are making. Again, the acknowledgement that they've that they've been able to highlight for two communities that I identify with that are marginalized, Black and gay. They 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 brought this perspective, they brought this acknowledgement, and they fight for that. Whether there is political backing or or you know so on and so forth they're fighting and 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 moving the needle on marginalization um for for some of the communities that i that i identify with right so i don't necessarily need to get involved with them i don't have any desire to and it's not because i think that they're any any type of the bastardization that that people are accusing them of being that's not the case of why i don't join them um i just personally you know and and if there was an opportunity to you know, maybe check out something or an event that they had going on. Maybe I would. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the concept of Black Lives Mattering, I simply just am creating this awareness and, and, and platforms for conversation for people to understand that Black Lives Matter. That's the ideology that I come from. Um, and it doesn't necessarily require my involvement with the organization, right? Totally. I totally get it. And it's and it and I'll analogize it again to the human rights, you know, with the church of Scientology. Right? It's like I just want people to be aware of what they're buying into because they're buying into an idea set, not just a human rights movement. And well, whether they whether they know they are or not is the tricky part. And this is again where 
my cult expertise comes in. I'm not saying Black Lives Matter is a is a is a cult movement. Thank you. I'm saying I'm not saying that, and I've said that before on on earlier podcasts. Right? I've I've been clear about this. It is the ideological core that is troubling. It's got mm-hmm. elements in it that I think you would disagree with. I certainly disagree with, and I have an issue with because it is analog. It is it is you know same same right now in many people's eyes, such as what you just said, where you're like, look, I don't really care about that core. I want Black Lives Matter. I like what they're doing on the surface. I like what they're doing out on the outer edges, and I'm on board with that. And I only say, from experience, very hard won experience, that. The first step is always very easy. The second yeah. step is usually extremely easy too. And then the third step and then the fourth step. And then by the fifth step, you're involved in a belief system or, a, or an idea set that's actually kind of destructive. Yeah. But you, you know, I think, it slowly, you know what I mean? I think that the, the, the benefit of being me is typically when you get to about that second or third step and they require financial contributions, right. I'm already out because I'm in between jobs right now. So, you know, I, I can support from afar. Congratulations, right. keep doing you. But when you start asking for money, I, you know, I fall out. So I, I typically don't make it past second steps in most cases of, of that type of organization. However, I do, I, I think, and, 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 you know, when we talk about things like this, I, I, I wonder if, if people feel the same way when it comes to their political party affiliation, right? We have two, basically, we polarize politi- uh, politics in our country, Democrat or Republican. And we say that if I support or if, I'm, if I claim myself to be a Democrat, that I have to believe everything that the Democrats are saying. That's not necessarily the case or vice versa. You know, if, if, if I claim to be a Republican, then I have to support everything the Republicans are doing. And then so what we've done is we've now introduced liberal and conservative right, where you may have conservative Democrats or, or, or liberal Republicans to give us this kind of medium, moderate area, middle area, middle ground um, to, to differentiate. I wish we had, a, we actually had a reputable third party that could come in and, and actually provide a different perspective and concept there. And people are going to say, well, we do. <laughs> we really don't. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that that goes very similarly to any affiliation with, you know, this organization, or like I said, the uh, uh, BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color organization, who I think is really still kind of at the grassroots level. I don't know. I could have just found out this organization. They've been around for, for years already. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if, if people start aligning with their, their contributions and they start progressing and building and, and, and moving in the direction that supports and, and creates awareness and so on and so forth for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, you know, what is the bastardization going to be of them? And is it, you know, leadership that, that has taken a wrong turn somewhere, and which potentially could be so? Does that mean that we, we don't support the things that they are doing at a surface level? Again, let me also clarify by saying, as soon as you ask me for money, you know, that's not where my contributions lie. So I don't have the financial uh, backing and well-being to be able to, at this point in my life, create that, uh, that, that, uh, that ability right now. But, uh, right. you know, if people are looking for it and restaurant manager, let me know. Uh, or just a radio host for hire. I can do that too. Uh, but, you know, so I think that, that, and you're right, at the surface level, things are easy. But then as you get deeper into, you know, there, there are things that you probably don't align with when it comes to uh, values of, of, of a sort. You have an opportunity at that point to say, you know what, this is not the organization that I thought it was. It's not the organization that I want to be a part of anymore. 
and 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 remove yourself. Um, and I you know, think so I, th I think that's all we're trying to do is is really just say you know, and by we I mean like somebody like me and you know and James Lindsay and stuff is this like we're not trying to say hey we don't want equal rights we're trying to say you know don't have regrets about this two years from now when you suddenly find out that what you thought this was is not what it was and it goes off in some weird direction right and, but, and yeah that, but. Do we do we then just say that the organization needs to be as you talked about? I think on a post in your on your on your social media. Do we then just cancel the organization, or do we continue to work with the organization so that they are more in line with the values that 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 need to be had for the movement? No, please do. But first, let's recognize that there's a problem, right? Oh, gotcha. as, okay. Because the sure. first thing is trying yeah. to raise awareness. It's it's this. It's really not a whole lot different than the problems I've had over the years, trying to convince people or show people who are involved in a cult, hey man, you're in a cult, right? Because the pushback is like, you can't say that. You know, you say right. that to somebody and they're like, I'm not in a cult. I mean, nobody joins a cult, not, not knowingly. No of one, right? Of course. So, yeah. so when you have cultic characteristics and the family and the friends are like, oh my God, you know, they often will, you know, on a personal level, there's a whole lot of, 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 of shenanigans you have to pull in order to, talk to the person who's gotten involved in Scientology, let's say, in a non-defense, you know, and without making them defensive and without raising their hackles and throwing out the cult word and all that, you gotta, you gotta do this song and dance to get them to see that what they're involved in might not be what they think they're involved in. And I don't speak from this platform of ultimate intelligence and superiority that I know all about, you know, what BLM is all about. I'm saying, hey, I see some red flags here. I see some very serious red flags. I see propaganda by redefinition of terms. I see thoughts not being cliches. I see an ideology that pushes deconstruction, not construction. And I think to myself, this is not where this is not what's going to get us get this ball down the road. And so that's why I speak out. And um, and so if we, you know, just say, okay, surface level good. And we recognize that's where we're at, and that's what we're talking about. I'm happy, but if we go, if we don't acknowledge, hey, there could be some real problems with this, and it bears, it's in all of our best interest to look deeper at who we're supporting and why we're supporting them, considering that we've just flowed millions of dollars to this organization kind of sight unseen in terms of these core values that exist at the at the center of it and the academic you know ideology on which it's based that's where i go hey if you know if you want to give money to youth for, youth for human rights good for wanting to acknowledge human rights and educate kids on it but be aware of the fact that you're actually giving money to the church of scientology so good on the human rights do you really want to give all that money to the Church of Scientology? That's the argument I'm making here, you know, and I'm glad we had a forum to, <laughs> to sure. hash it out this specifically, and, and, you know. And just based on that example, I'm going to stop giving money to any of the Democratic candidates because Lord knows they're just about as racist as the Republicans. Oh, my God, so, please do. Please. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, but I think that 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 both to be the, the same conversation, right? When we yeah. when we look at giving money to, to to organizations, you probably may not know at the root of those organizations. You know, I mean, it's almost like when I, I used to drive through the toll booths in New York City, 
um, or heading into New York, and I would ask the, the toll attendants, hey, I want an itemized receipt to where my money's going. Because $15 to cross this bridge seems astronomical. <laughs> but in Chicago, we only pay $2.50 or $75, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? If, yeah. if, they, if they're able to give an itemized list of where your money is going, then you know maybe that might be a thing that we need to uncover for organizations that are, that are taking money. And I'm pretty sure at some level that actually does take place. You know, when we look at uh, white collar crimes and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, but at the, at the general consumer level, we may not get that itemized receipt. So all we have is that surface level to go off of and say, well, you know, this is the direction and the support uh, that I think I'm contributing to. It's almost like churches, right? If, I, if I'm giving money to the church, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm giving money to contribute to the well-being of, of, of and the sustainability of, of this church building for us to have a place to, to worship where that may not be the case in, 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 in certain regards. And you're right, understanding and uncovering those, those nuances, those details, those, those core substances um, is important. Uh, but I think if we, if, we, if we focus on that and create this, this panic, then, then we have the reverse effect and we don't have the sustainability of an organization that at the surface level or even at its original inception was to create awareness and fight back against racial inequality and injustice. Fair enough. And, uh, and I'm totally on, I totally get that, you know, on board with that. So is there, this is wild. I know, pretty wild, right? <laughs> I didn't, when you said we would have this long conversation, I'm like, no, we won't. This won't be yeah. that long. And look up, what is this, almost three hours later? Here we I are. know, right? <laughs> I know, it's wild. Well, listen, man, I really want to thank you for doing this. And I want to just, I want to ask before we end off, because I want to make sure, is there anything that I didn't give you a chance to say or that we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up? Oh God, it's so hard being black. You just cut off everything I wanted to say. No, I, um, and let me not make light of the situation. You know, I, I throw that out there because you know, I think that when it comes down to having conversations about race, you're right when you initially, when we initially got started, there's a very razor, <laughs> razor edge, um, uh, nuanced, um, intricate and, and, emotionally charged conversation and discussion to the point where people are literally going at each other's throats about this. Um, it's important to have these conversations because if we don't have these conversations and, 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 and that we provide a comfortability in some, in some regard, you know, at, at least with me, I, I'd like to provide some laughter in these conversations because it helps continue the, the dialogue um, comfortably at, at some level. Talking about race is, is uncomfortable for some. Uh, but if we don't have the conversations, if we shy away from the conversations, or if we continually fight the conversations, then we're never going to continue the, the progress that has been made. See how I acknowledge that, that we've made progress? Yeah, I did that. Uh, so it's very important that we do. Uh, but I, Chris, I can't thank you enough for inviting me on your platform to have this conversation. Man, I, again, it, 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 was, it was just mind-boggling that you, you reached out to me for this conversation because I'm, I'm really like a nobody, man. I just, uh, I just <laughs> have shows and discussions and make people laugh, uh, not in a comedic sense. But thank you very much for having the conversation on your platform so that and using or, or allowing, we don't want to say allow, that, that sounds slaverish, um, for <laughs> inviting me to participate as a person of color, as a Black person, uh, to have this conversation on your show. I really hope that you continue to do that um, to, to be able to gain you know, additional perspectives because I do not speak for the entire African uh, diaspora of, of, of Blacks in this country. Uh, each of our experiences are unique and different. Um, and that's also important to note when having these conversations about race. Perfect. 
perfect, man. And just so you know, I do have another person lined up as well to interview next week. Uh, Good. Of color. So, Good. yeah. So black black person or, or person of color. There's a difference. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to we're going to keep this going. And um, oh, sorry, a black person. Okay. Okay. Uh, I thought you just smoothed right over that. I I, I know, man. It's just like I mean, I see these biases that you have. (laughs) I'm such a racist. I'm such a racist. racist. Again, see, we really got to dig into this, Chris. There's something. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to explore this. D'Angelo, get her on the phone. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna get her going. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Listen, and shout out to Dr. D'Angelo if she ever does see this. I, I, I'm a fan and I appreciate the book. So that's just me personally. Glad we could laugh at her expense. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, man. <laughs> um, okay. So folks, I hope that this was an interesting and informative and educational couple hours for you. I hope I got to clarify some of my positions and I'm glad that I got to have this conversation with Rick. Really, really great. And this went exactly the way I wanted it to. Um, we both got to say what we wanted to say and we both got to agree and disagree with each other in a respectful way which is exactly what I want for this channel and exactly what I want for the world. So, you know, I think if we can model the good behavior, maybe we can get the good behavior, you know? Wow, I was the actual, uh, uh, what, what is it called? The, 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 the classic guest, the epitome guest, whatever that was. I'm glad to be the representa- representation of the guest that you want on your show. Yes, you are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. You made, this, you made this very easy for me, and I really appreciate it. Do I, do I need to tag the shows, the, the, the places to find me yet one more time on this show? <laughs> yeah, what I want you to do is I actually want you to send me the links to all that stuff, and I'll put it in the show mm-hmm. notes. And we'll I, think, I think we plugged your shows pretty uh, <laughs> more than I've ever plugged any other show. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I appreciate that. You know, I really do. Thank you so much. And let me speak on Ethan's behalf. He does as well. Excellent, man. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks right, so much, folks. Um, talk to you guys next week and, uh, thanks for, thanks for coming around. And like I said, if you find the show educational, informative and entertaining, which I hope you did, Please consider supporting the show through Patreon. That is what keeps the lights on and the show going here and um, allows me to continue doing this job of bringing and exposing different ideas and viewpoints to you and giving you food for thought. So with that, I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.